0: Is linked to the cast your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold? I am this week's party host. I am the platforming prodigy. I am Mark Robinson. Neither Dave Ryan or Garrett Kidney are here this week. Uh, the rumors are they are going to see what is now known as the cult classic Morbius, um, but we cannot confirm this at this time. So next to me on the round table, he is the Marcus Alonso of the podcasting world. He is the side owner simp, Jack Lazel. Jack, how are you?
1: Yeah, man, not bad. Uh... You know, didn't get the invite to round out month BS with Garrett and Dave, so obviously a little bit gutted, but you know, I basically spent my day going, do you remember Sire, that geezer that made Gangnam Style? That, that was my day.
0: Do you think you would be comfortable with the idea of being a one-hit wonder, you know, like...
1: Yeah, if, if Todd in the Shadows made an episode about me, I would be very happy to be a one-hit wonder, yes. But,
0: like, there's, there's a certain tragedy that can, like, hang over certain artists that are, like, a one-hit wonder. Um, I don't know if it's, like, like, the case in all circumstances, but on the other side of it, if you're still getting a royalty <laughs> check... And, yeah, know.
1: I was gonna say, man, like, you've gone right to the dark, awful path, but, like, being a one-hit wonder, you're getting an exposure and fame and interest for that little while and then hopefully it made enough money for you to sort of not have to do too much else really. I guess creatively it's it's pretty tough because you obviously spend your life as a musician kind of wanting to get to that stable point where you can release a couple of albums, build a fan base and all that sort of thing but I guess a lot of one-hit wonders might end up with a fan base. They might carry on and do stuff, but people just don't hear from them in, in the wider continuity. The ones that are really mysterious are the ones that literally just come, go, disappear, and then you have no idea what they do forever. But like uh, this is where I plugged Todd in the shadows because his, his series of one-hit wonderland on YouTube is so fantastic and kind of covering the backstories to a lot of these uh, people and situations. So definitely well worth a look. True. Well, he is definitely not a
0: one-hit wonder, uh, rounding out our roundtable this week. You may may remember him from films such as uh, Hydro the Man with the Hydraulic Arms or The Muppets Go Medieval. He is Twitch superstar Barry Murphy. Barry, thank you for joining us on what was meant to be a special edition this week, but, you know,
2: that has been the lead.
1: Now it's just an edition, yeah.
0: Now it is just an edition, but still special to me. Barry, how are you doing?
2: that was a great intro i'm doing great after that thank you so much great to be here and i have to say also i i i have to respect the link to the cast booking of keeping me and garrett apart until game of the year i think that's great (laughs) that's that's just that's classic memphis do you know what i mean it's just great stuff we're not going to touch until december um and i i I think that's very sensible until until you know the big payoff
1: when should we introduce sean mcgee to really whip things up today
0: (laughs) (laughs) have you you would not been on a podcast with garrett before
2: Uh, myself and garrett have recorded seven million podcasts together but we have not been on an episode of this podcast together okay um he and i i I think it was i think we culminated it with endgame he and i did a marvel rewatch um uh uh podcast in the run-up to i think infinity war and then we did endgame also i have to i'd have to actually rack my brains i i think did we do we did like a venom we did a bonus here there we did stuff like venom but yeah he and i have uh, have recorded many a cast together that was quite a quite a fun adventure but um we have, not, we have not been on this broadcast together yet.
0: I was completely unaware of that, but now I know, yeah.
2: That, that, was, that was a couple, I suppose, yeah, that was uh, you know, pre-pandemic. That was 2019, I guess. Uh, um, uh, so that was uh, quite a ways back. Uh, it was a lot of fun, yeah. So if any, I, uh, I can't remember the link off the top of my head, but I'm sure Garrett, when he listens to this, he'll he'll, he'll get a plug a out on uh, uh, Twitter. It was a lot of fun. If anyone feels like doing a Marvel rewatch, uh, we went all the way through um, from Iron Man through to Endgame, and it was a lot of fun.
1: I just laughed because I I remember me and me and Dave tried to do a thing uh where we just reviewed the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe and for some insane reason we tried to do it all in one podcast. So I have like a what? two I know. I have a two and a, I have a two and a half hour recording of me and Dave like Barely making it to the second Avengers movie,
0: um, which is just insane. That's uh, like us trying to do the entirety of our game of the year in one podcast. This is yeah, insane. Yeah, that's pre-
1: crazy. I, and I think we spoke for like an hour or so before we even started recording the podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, that's that's nothing new with you two. To be fair
1: <laughs> so yeah, wow. at, at, at some point, um, <laughs> I think like if there's a week where none of us can uh, can do a recording, I should just we should just release that.
2: Just for, yeah, just the, the that's the most ambitious project I've ever heard in my life. That's a lot of that's a lot of film to to break down uh, in one episode.
1: Yeah, we had a a brief dalliance with a uh, with a, a movie podcast, which we were calling the Popcorn Social. Uh, and yeah, it, I think we Good got name. maybe five or six episodes in and then it didn't go further than that.
0: Well, in fairness, it kind of like ended up fusing into what is the current format of Link to the Cast. I was actually going to ask the pair of you, like at this at this point, how many podcasts do you think that you like or podcast series uh, do you think that you've done at this, at this point?
1: Yes, maybe six or seven, I think.
0: I, I had the um the podcast I did before this like my gaming podcast which was analog shtick uh which all the episodes are still up on YouTube
2: still um, a great a great great title. it is a great name it yeah. is a phenomenal name
0: <laughs> I don't know if I can take credit for it though I can't remember who came up with it um but yeah I think I had like maybe four I want to say that I've done um
2: yeah but I, I think Jack's I, definitely
0: had a few more than me
2: I think I, I think I've uh, I. Uh, God, yeah. I mean, in terms of like been on over the years, it's been oh, like, that's I, that's ridiculous. That's that's impossible because yeah. we're all, we're all we're all terribly online men who met on a message board, and we're all crackers. And all we love to do is sit down and record podcasts. I mean, I've podcasted with you guys. I've podcasted with Alan. I've podcasted with X, Y, Z other people. Um, I think in terms of projects, I that I would have been um, billed as a host, for lack of a better term. Four or five, including the one I mentioned with Garrett. That was technically... That was a Garrett kidney joint, but I was on all the episodes. Um, uh, Chair Shot, which I still do every week. Gorilla Island, which we do once a month. Um god i feel like there's probably one or two that went tits up along the way i can't remember uh any anyone who does a successful podcast or a long-running podcast has uh, more than a few uh, uh um half finished uh uh projects along the way i think it's just um i think it's a hallmark of the hobby to be honest
0: let's jump into what we've been watching this week and i'm going to jump over to you barry because you've got one thing that we've spoken about before on the show and one thing that i've been seeing doing the rounds this week as being a very very good film so i'll let you pick off which one you want to start with
2: yeah let's let, let's start with the very good film um uh, you guys seen that morbius <laughs> uh, it's pretty it's pretty effing great uh, i I, I I've I've still still not seen it. it. I've still not seen it. And I've seen, I see most of the Marvel crap. I still haven't seen it. Oh, Barry, what are you even doing with your life? I know it's, it it may, it may end up, I may have to pre-order that 4K Blu-ray for 30 quid. Um, I I don't think I'm going to get to it now before it leaves, but no, um, I did see uh, one of the the kind of, it was technically a 2021 release, I guess. I did see one of the more acclaimed releases from last year. that only just got its uh, UK and Ireland release a couple of weeks ago. I was lucky enough that there's a local theatre here uh, in Limerick that does a little kind of indie film screening once or twice a month and they brought this along. It was uh, the worst person in the world. Uh, it's from a a, a, a director whose, whose, whose name escapes me at the moment. He's been around for a couple of years. He's done a, a trilogy of films uh, a set in Oslo.
1: It's uh, Joachim Trier, just to shout him out. Joachim
2: Trier, that was it, because the name is so distinctive as well. And I was like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, how interesting. But yeah, it's uh, Joachim Trier. Um, and it's basically, it kind of starts out as a, you're kind of like very kind of in vogue, coming of age-ish, tragic comedy about a woman in her early 20s who is kind of flitting about from relationship to relationship. She changes her college major a couple of times, doesn't quite know what she wants out of life. uh, And then she um, starts a a sort of uh, extramarital. She's not married, but uh, she has an affair with a, a guy who ends up becoming the sort of central... Um, uh, uh, love interest of the film and it kind of that's kind of the, the establishing kind of first act of it and i really don't want to say too much else about it because this is very much a go in as blind as you can type film and just kind of experience it i heard lots of buzz about it uh when i went to this theater a couple of weeks ago to see another film they played a trailer for this one uh, and it seemed pretty good but I, I i went in cold and that is definitely what i would recommend people do it is. It was one of those things. It was the easiest coming out of it. It was like the most easy five stars you've ever you've ever had. You know, sometimes you see a movie or a match or you play a game or anything at all like that. Sometimes you hum and haw about it, and then sometimes you just know. This was one of the latter. I was like, it was so 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 uh, uh, special, and I was kind of like, it was uh technically a twenty one release, so I was like, easily the best film I would have seen last year. Easily would have been the best film I've seen so far this year um uh, i mean i can't really heap enough superlatives on it it's very um it's a little bit of an existential crisis movie so that's a bit of a forewarning um it's it's quite ponderous and it's quite um uh uh you know makes you think about life and your decisions and how things play out and how life is not fair always and you know, it's it's kind of the opposite of uh, your decisions define you kind of tale. It's kind of almost the inverse of that. It's kind of very much a, in a much more poetic way than I'm being, it's kind of a shit happens movie. And that isn't always fair. And maybe you shouldn't beat yourself up about it. It's just basically about how complicated and hard life is, which I know sounds like a barrel of laughs. But it is also weirdly hopeful in the midst of all of that um it is phenomenal great performances from from the lead cast. It looks great it sounds great um uh i I can't do justice to uh justice to it uh, uh here, but as I will say easily my favorite film I would have seen last year and definitely the best of this year. If you can see it in a cinema at all, which I know is tough i mean it came out uh in this market like uh um about a month ago, and it of course was not to be seen in an actual cinema anywhere. I was lucky enough that a local place was showing it. For a very small crowd, um these things are, are films like this, international kind of you know indie films are, are so hard to come across in an actual cinema. If you can at all, try and see it uh, there if you can't, I think it's going on movie uh next week or sometime in May. it's a movie distributed film, so they've had it on their website for ages that hey, it's in theaters this date, it's in it's on our service on this date. So at some point in May it goes up on Mubi. I know Dave has sung the praises of Mubi a lot on this podcast. He's one of the one of the people that made me say, oh yeah, I should give that a go, and it's it's very good. Um, so yeah, if you have that service, uh, absolutely check it out. The worst person in the world uh, uh, have the tissues at the ready, get ready to have a, a, an existential crisis, but have it while watching a phenomenal film. Um, so yeah, that is that is two thumbs up on on the worst person in the world. I uh, know, yeah, absolutely. I just checked
0: to see. It's, uh, it's not in Cineworld in Dublin, so... Um,
2: it's not a Cineworld-type yeah. movie. No, it's, I guess
0: not.
1: If you're from the UK, it's what I would refer to as a Curzon-style movie, um, which is kind of like a fancy chain of, of cinemas in the UK where they kind of show these art house pictures. And when I went to see Red Rocket at Curzon in, uh, in Bloomsbury in London, I saw a trailer for it, and it's been stuck in the back of my head ever since. I really wanted to watch the movie so your uh your review barry has inspired me to go out of my way to try and catch this at some point
2: definitely i mean it, it's one of those ones where i would say it is worth even if you don't keep the service it's worth grabbing a month of movie and watching it maybe watching one or two other things and cancelling it. even if you don't keep it it's worth grabbing the service for that
0: uh so pam and tommy uh jack has sung the praises of this show and spent more than enough time talking about um sebastian stan looking at his own penis <laughs>
1: <laughs> so i dig there yes. i'll take it there
0: uh, So Barry, what are, what are your thoughts on this show?
2: I mean, it's it's, it's quite good. I, I do one thing I'm kind of surprised about is because I heard I heard obviously from Jack and other people off oh, the 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 dick scene. Well, we're kind of surprised about is there isn't actually more of that. It kind it just sort of randomly has one very trippy scene in like the second episode and then nowhere else, which is kind of weird. But I suppose that's that's kind of the point. It was supposed to be weird. Uh, I'm not finished it yet. I'm about halfway through, but I, I think it's really really good. I think it's very. um... Uh, uh, I think it's very sharply written. I think the performances are all great. Obviously, Stan and, and, and Lily James are both very good. Um, it's probably the most kind of interested I've been in a Rogan performance in a while. He's not just doing the Seth Rogan thing. His character has a little bit of depth to it. It's a little bit different. He, it is comedic. He, he he has a bit of a, um, a comedy loser vibe about him, but he's not just doing the Seth Rogan thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, because he normally that. plays a lovable um, loser,
1: whereas there is almost nothing lovable yeah. about this human being he's playing.
0: Yeah, I was gonna. Um, I, I guess it's not quite the same, but I was thinking about him and like the disaster artist, and he's not quite like. It, there's a little bit of Seth Rogen in there, but there, there's a little bit more going on with that character. But I, I, it's probably not exactly the same. I haven't seen Pam and Tommy yet. Barry, so. did you
1: see the pickle movie that he was in? No. Still to this day. is one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my entire life. So, like, he plays a guy who works in a pickle factory and then he ends up in a vat of pickle and is stuck there for, like, a 100 years and then goes to meet up (laughs) with, like, his great-great-great-grandson, basically, in New York. And then they start a feud, basically, and this guy opens up like an artisan pickle shop in uh, in Bro- uh, in brooklyn as as you would in like williamsburg and becomes really successful and then the modern day seth rogan starts to resent him and he's playing both roles i'd never heard of it it's no. just utterly bizarre it's called an american pickle oh, okay it's uh, okay, a good yeah, name um, to be fair yeah so um, it, uh, i yeah. i'd recommend watching it not because i necessarily thought it was good but because it's just so fucking bizarre
2: it sounds out there enough that i'd maybe give yeah. it a punt and yeah I, and um, i think that he's not seth Rogeny in that either which i mean i, I can't knock the guy for doing his thing uh, on a regular you know he's good he's good in the in that in those kinds of roles but it is just nice to see him uh do something a little bit different and i think it's just it's 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 it does all the things you kind of want a prestige show of this style to do which is it has very well developed characters it, it develops everyone's perspective as well it doesn't kind of go for low-hanging fruit with the characterization i think it does a great job uh characterizing pam anderson i mean obviously there is some irony in them leaning so heavy on the idea of hey guys did you ever stop to think how pam feels about this when she didn't approve of the show being made but that is <laughs> Hollywood for you whatever you know that is, that's just the way shit goes i mean whatever i don't think that i don't think that means the the point is meritless just because of that but um i think they do that stuff very well i think they they established tommy lee as like a dickhead really well early on but they show uh you know uh, as people would often say they show the kind of private side of him that other people wouldn't have seen in a way that makes you think about him differently but they don't undercut his dickishness while doing it it's a very three-dimensional portrayal um yeah i haven't finished it yet it's very good and i think they do a good job of not having cringy dialogue around the 90s-ness of it there's a lot of scenes where characters have to say things to each other like what's the internet and that could be really lame with worse writing and worse performances but it works really well because again you know it is early 90s we're talking about selling you know something on the internet before that was the norm And so you have to write those conversations without it being really uh, obnoxious and and people say what's a computer you know you know you have to you have to not be annoying and but i think i think the writing is great and i think particularly um um nick offerman in particular is great at that kind of stuff and and having those scenes where he doesn't seem like he's just doing an obnoxious bit like he plays it really human which is great agreed i'd say it's definitely
1: more melancholic uh the second half of the series because mean spoiler alert it doesn't go well really for any of the characters in the show Mm. but um it's 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 so well acted and in particularly james i would say yeah yeah i'll be interested to hear your thoughts maybe on one of your many twitch streams on twitch.tv forward slash barry lab um and to see to see if there's any any update on how you feel about the series
2: probably that'll probably be the place to do it. we were arguing about the batman and spider-man no way home last night so i'll probably talk about pam and tommy on there uh, at some stage i i i'm interested to see how the second half plays out because i think it's it's already at the halfway point it's got some kind of interesting musings on you know celebrity culture and it's a commentary on the 90s but a lot of the stuff still applies today and I've seen there's a great scene it's just such a simple scene but it just it's it's really really great I've seen it where uh, the tape is out and then Seth Rogen's character finds a guy bootlegging (laughs) it in a car park outside a record store. And he's like incensed that, quote unquote, like his thing has been pirated, even though it's a thing he stole from someone's house and doesn't have releases of the people involved in it. But he's like trying to do some kind of what you're doing is wrong. You're profiting off my labor type thing uh, uh, to this guy. It's like such a simple scene, but it's so great um, uh, in conveying like, kind of yeah. what the show's about. His relationship um, with his ex yeah, stuff like that's
1: done so well as well. Where he's so like yes. clearly yeah, still in love with her. And just cannot deal with the fact that she's moved on and is with someone else now and mm. that whole dynamic. It's it's when you think about portrayals of like other situations like that, especially with, you know, someone going from like a heterosexual relationship to a same sex relationship, it's it's done hammy. They play it up for laughs or or jokes or whatever. But in this it's just it's handled really well. Um, and you can feel the genuine pain in Seth Rogen every time he sees his ex. Um, so yeah, that that yeah, that's the that's the good acting that there is in Seth Rogen, and that's for sure.
0: All right, we'll move on. Uh, I'm not going to spend too long talking about the Northman because uh, Dave and Jack, I believe, you spoke a fair amount about it last week. But I wanted to a give um, my input into it, and b also talk about some of the. The, the the things that have been happening outside of that film over the last couple of days in regards to this idea of, uh, like, white supremacists trying to claim this film and the fucking nonsense about that. Is that, that really looks, uh, happening? I have not heard
1: this. So,
0: yeah, so yeah. basically, uh like, the main character, played by uh, Alexander Skarsgård, he's a general, like... Uh, kind of Beowulf outfit is a strong resemblance to i can't remember which clown from the january 6th,
2: Oh yeah uh, the guy was like the, the shaman, shaman guy, guy. Yeah, yeah the shaman guy it looks a bit like him and it's just it's it's white european viking is it it's an extremely Viking-ass viking ass yeah. viking movie do you know what i mean yeah it, 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 that's 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 the gener- the tone that also i think in terms of their the, the the kind of you know extreme right like white supremacist talking points, uh, one thing they love to go to is hey you know white people were slavery too, and this movie has European white slaves in it uh so uh, as if that somehow negates like you know african-american slavery right but it doesn't obviously but this is probably the first major film in quite a while to have that stuff in it so i guess they see it as some kind of dog whistle to them even though it obviously isn't that you know
0: I, i guess we'll jump into that first as well and i've seen some interesting tweets today and i mean you know the the long and short of it is that right wing uh right wing scumbags no ideals and ideology like there's no kind of place for that in terms of like you know in films and in media certainly not on like a bigger scale um so what happens is that you know there isn't anything that is made for them so they just grasp onto anything that they can find that you know they can try and make their own
1: I mean, arguably, like, decades and decades of cinema works for uh, right-wing ideologies before <laughs> before mm. people started actually developing taste and conscience, but, you know.
0: But The, the Northman, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't think it is, uh, like, just the standout, like, film of the year. I, I rated it higher than Jackass Forever, but I would say that I enjoy Jackass Forever more. But, you know, like, they're two completely different films serving two different masters. Yeah. Um, but you know it's it's a, a lion king style revenge film the the, the actual kind of <laughs> i'm
1: sorry i lion king i love it i just immediately now I, <laughs> immediately now imagine him at the start of the movie presenting the young alexander skarsgård on a cliff as like viking longboats, like sound horns and stuff That'd be okay, amazing. I, I
0: will start again by saying it's a revenge flick. How about that? Does that work?
1: <laughs> no, I just think it was a brilliant analogy that I never would have made that association and I really enjoyed it. Okay,
0: fair enough. See, I, I don't know, I, I can't tell sometimes when you're just attacking me and when you're being sincere.
1: I am never attacking you. <laughs> I love you and I have loved you since the day I met you, my friend.
0: Um, But the actual like plot, you know, the kind of beats for it are fairly there's nothing that you know particularly like if you compare robert eggers like against like uh the lighthouse you know um that as a a concept and as a film and like the structure of it is fucking all over the place um where and that was kind of what i was hoping for going into the northman and what i got more from this was just like his sense of cinematography and the production and you know and all of that is completely like unbelievable and like as far as I'm aware, most of this was shot in Ireland. Um, I, did, I don't know which part of Ireland looks as fucking bleak as this area does, but
2: um, I was. He put he put the Eggers filter on it, so you know it's it's.
1: I don't want to offend Barry, but I would say West Coast. <laughs> oh, it's definitely somewhere.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, I, I think this film looks incredible. Uh, I think that you know, Skarsgård just like he's a fucking beast. Um, yeah. and like his performance just. You know like the thing that has me engaged in this film is just his performance throughout uh the the, i I think dave said last week like visceral is the word to use though it might be a bit wrought out but it is the word it's it's like it's it's a gnarly as fuck performance it's a gnarly as fuck looking film but in the good kind of way you know just the just how like raw everything is how awful everything looks and feels And
1: I uh, I was going to say, like, his thing is intensity. Like, no matter what role you watch Alexander Skarsgård in, he brings an intensity to every performance. And a lot of the time, the energy of that intensity that he brings will carry the whole project. So I think of like the the first good season of Big Little Lies where he's essentially playing like an abusive husband. And every time you're on screen, you can just feel just even things that he does with his body language and the way he'll position himself in a shot, you know. And I've seen him do it in so many different things now that I do really think it is... Uh, he'll work with good directors, but a lot of the time artistic choices and especially when you mention the fact that it's a revenge movie, right? His burning intensity to get what he fucking wants out of this situation is what keeps the whole thing going. And at no stage during the movie does he ever let that drop. You're like, oh this guy wants that fucking guy dead. And every time you even things in his eyes and like his his expressions and the way he cuts off his sentences, he just he keeps that up the whole time and it's so well done.
0: Yeah, like, the whole bit towards the end where he basically just turns into fucking Batman uh, and just starts taking people out in <laughs> the dark, oh, uh, was is yeah. tr- awesome. tremendous. Um, one thing I will say, there is, like, the twist that happens about two-thirds of the way through that does kind of feel like it's
2: telegraphed pretty early on. Um, yeah, I, I my, my big thing about the film is I think everything about it is kind of telegraphed. Yeah. Um, Like I like I don't want to get too in. There's like it's it's like it's one of these revenge movies where there's a famous parable about revenge that I don't even want to say because it literally would spoil the ending. But it has like the exact ending you would think if you pick up the general vibe of the film after about an hour. Do you know what I mean? It's it's. And I think I, I'm not saying I don't, I don't want to make it seem really um, as simple as there's a weirdness crank and Eggers didn't turn it far <laughs> enough for this movie. But it, it it's, I think it's his most like straightforward and kind of... Oh, it's a totally straightforward it, film. Uh, it's totally straightforward. It's re- it's really yeah. straightforward. And I think it's like they, they do some really cool stuff early on where... He's like, I'm just going to shoot 20 minutes of just guttural, visceral Viking shit where fucking Skarsgård's just, like, screaming while rolling around in the mud. And then for, like, the rest of the movie, I'm kind of just going to do story and it's just going to play out the way you expect it. I would have enjoyed it if, uh,
0: you know, because there's that sort of fucking Elden Elden Ring fight where he gets the sword halfway through. And I was expecting, like, a bunch of Mm. sort of Hercules trials he had to do or something. And I would have been fully on board with that. Because uh, it was have saved me having to play Elden Ring.
1: Just watch Barry play it from the other night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah,
0: it does, like, it's very root one. And then, you know, from the moment that he makes the decision that he makes, you know how the rest of the film is going to go, basically. Um, and then it ends up with, like, the very kind of, like, fucking over-the-top,
1: overblown um, ending. And... <laughs> Dude, I was going to say, it's like the last area of the Kirby platformer game that came out. (laughs) It is. It is.
0: (laughs) So, but obviously it is very spectacular, but I think partially because I knew this is a two hour 20 film going in and I just, I know at this point, my, I just do not have the patience for a film that goes past two hours. And I'm, I was like. As the film was going on, I was like, does this bit need to be in here? No. Does this bit need to be in here? No. And I was doing it when I was talking about Operation Mint the other week. There's like, this film does not need to be as long as it is. There are a bunch of scenes here. There are characters in here that do not need to be in here. But here we are. My um, dude, you're in the wrong yeah. job. You should be an editor. I I guess I should, well, no, because then no film will be over 90 minutes long and I
1: won't ever any work. <laughs> Can you imagine Christopher Nolan coming to Mark and just being like, oh, mate, please just let me have a hundred minutes. No. Tenet would be fucking 15
0: minutes long. All right. And I would certainly
1: make sure it made more sense than it fucking does. Yeah. Um, Can I yeah. Ask, ask a question to the pair of you? And um, like you mentioned kind of the story and how you felt like bits were telegraphed. With it kind of being sold as a revenge movie, like. Would you not have been a little bit disappointed if the twist that you saw coming actually happened? If he just was like, nah, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to leave on this boat at this point in the movie. And that was kind of the ending.
2: You can absolutely do a revenge tale where at the end the person's like, you know what? It's not worth it. Lads, have I told you about The Last of Uh, Us Part 2? It's a great video uh, game. oh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Jack, so Until the Wheels Fall Off Until the Wheels Fall Off is a documentary about a man who realistically had absolutely no intentions of ever becoming anywhere near the cultural icon that he currently is or you know certainly was even more prominently perhaps when when the three of us were growing up. It is about Tony Hawk, The Life and Times Of. Um, Mm. So Obviously, Tony Hawk, he grew up kind of in the 80s and in the 80s, the skate scene was very much like, you know, you're doing it for the for the culture, man. You know, you're not you're not skating to to try and achieve things or become famous. You're doing it because of the love and the passion. And along comes Tony Hawk. Uh, this kid, he's got like a wedge of blonde hair and he's he can fly around on his skateboard and he basically changes the way that people skate he starts ollieing up into jumps he starts getting air and he starts doing tricks and initially people saw him as like this is a cheesy circus clown and no one is ever going to appreciate this but what he was doing was essentially inventing vertical skateboarding i was going to say like up until that
0: point was skateboarding because i i've seen bits and pieces of documentaries and stuff over the years but like in up until the 80s was the skate scene basically just street skating
1: um, it wasn't so much street skating. It was like skating, you know, like li- like lines and stuff, and like carving like down different runs and oh, skating right. in pools. And, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, Like it, it, just wasn't. It wasn't about tricks. It wasn't necessarily about sport. It was. It was very much of like a kind of lifestyle. Um, and you, you see, come kind, of, kind of couple of the pre-Tony Hawk skaters who are kind of like these gnarly old you know almost like you know the skateboarding equivalent of a hippie saying how much they they really hated Tony Hawk when when he was a kid coming along and just doing all of this clown shit that nobody wanted um and just the huge amount of adversity that this guy had to face in in his life to get to this point um and you just he gradually becomes this insane like underground eventually really popular in like magazines and stuff skating icon and he has this whole career and then it dies it literally dies in the 90s no one is riding skateboards no one really cares like after the sort of you know Bart Simpson and the cowabunga of it all kind of like the early early 90s where it was at its peak it just dropped and how he had to survive that um and what he carried on doing to get you know not even necessarily recognition just to get by just to get by in life he was barely making any money And then it kind of follows his life through the insane and bizarre like re-emergence of 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 skate culture in the late 90s with like all of the pop punk bands and you know eventually Activision signed him up to a to a video game. And it's just a really fascinating insight into all of the things that kind of work in in behind the scenes with Tony Hawk and how he has this insane dedication to just keep going and you see a lot of intensity in him that you don't necessarily notice because, you know, like Tony Hawk in interviews is the most laid-back man alive. You know, yeah. even the way he tweets about people who recognise him as like, oh, a person at the airport <laughs> yeah. thought I was Tony Hawk. Turns out I am Tony Hawk and <laughs> shit like that. You just, you're like, okay, this guy's kind of a nerd. He's kind of like a bit weird, but he's, he's actually just... An intense, insane, like just achiever, overachiever in life, really. And towards the end of the movie, it it almost gets a little bit sad because this guy's in his fifties. And so, the first scene of the movie, you see him trying to land. Obviously, his most famous trick is a nine hundred, right? Which is nine nine hundred degree spin. So, like, you know, two, four spins, and a half spin. Um, and he's there. In, in the studio like in his skate park with like all these studio cameras set up he's trying to land this 900 solely for this documentary just to prove that he can still do it yep. and you just see yeah, tony, you see tony hawk at like the age of 50 bailing out hitting ramps landing on his ass landing on his knees landing on his elbows time after time and getting more and more pissed off and you just think to yourself like like, my, my dad, right, my dad is is 59 years old. He is only, <laughs> is, at this point, he's only like six or seven years older than Tony Hawk. The idea that Tony Hawk is s- taking slams on wooden ramps really fucking hard at the age he's at now is, is crazy to me. And the back half of this documentary just pretty much goes over the fact that he's never going to stop like he's gonna keep trying to do cool shit and skating keep trying to achieve stuff and he's pretty much shattered and broken every single bone in his body at this point um he's had so many concussions and all of this stuff medical advice is really probably should stop skating maybe 10 years ago still going and you just think like man the idea that you would love something so much that you would just run your physical self into the ground with it and it really paralleled with like I know obviously Barry and Mark and and me myself like even if I'm a bit of a Laps fan these days see the parallel of like these wrestlers who keep going keep doing it for the love of it run themselves into the ground and and so many people Mm. in the wrestling industry uh, end up kind of you know, dying way prematurely, these super talented, super charismatic people. And at the end of it, like, I loved hearing all about the glory days of Tony Hawk and and, and seeing his process and enjoying it. But I came out of it just feeling like, i'm worried about tony man like i don't I, he's just one of those guys that you just want to like he's like the stan lee of skateboarding like very similar characters you never hear anything negative about him people just love being around him and you just want him to keep going like that and i how after watching this i just thought man at some point like he's gonna do himself a serious injury or something and it's gonna happen to tony i mean <laughs> There is
0: a chance that this, that, but there is also the chance that his body will tell him in a way that isn't, you know, like a serious injury. But, you know, they're saying that one day maybe he still might come to the realization that, okay, physically I can't do this anymore.
1: For some reason, there's the mortality about it, and I'm just imagining like this is my dad doing this, and but yeah, is it?
0: it but doesn't it just come down to he's in control of his I don't say destiny, but he's in control of oh, yeah. who he is and what he wants to do, he, and he's
1: doing what he loves. Yeah, he's doing what he loves. But the last five minutes of the thing is pretty much all these old skaters just going like, "I still do this as well." and they're all very aware that them doing what they love in that way is eventually going to lead to some serious consequences for all of them. Mm. Um and yeah, that's it's kind of a bit of a sweet ending, but just man, Tony Hawk is just so he's such a rad dude. Honestly, you just it's so bizarre that all of this initial part of this documentary is all about what skateboarding thought was the in authenticity of this guy and then by the end of it you're like this is one of the gnarliest fucking human beings that's ever <laughs> existed on this planet he has pushed his sport to the absolute limits of what's possible and then beyond that and he's still trying to do it at this age and as, as 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 much as I worry and as you know, sad as it would make me if something happened to him you just can't help go fuck man Tony Hawk is gnarly and that is the one thing you can come away from this documentary with
0: I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a, a five-minute uh, pitch on on Call Saul. Is it good? Is it bad? Tell me.
1: Um, so, I didn't want to talk too much about it because it would be very difficult to talk about the episode from this week without spoiling it, but Better Call back. First two episodes were very good. I kind of briefly mentioned it last week. Third episode, it's just, honestly... like it's something very dramatic happens in it and it just reminded me that nobody builds tension and delivers on what they build as well as any vince gilligan manned project he is just incredible at you know when you're on the way to the thing that's going to happen in a vince gilligan show when you know something bad or scary or potentially great happens you just the sh- the shot composition and the like sparse use of score and the not even dialogue just the way characters interact with each other in these situations and the way everything's set up it's so authentic it really puts you into exactly where you would be if you were in one of these situations and this third episode of better course All, i've been thinking about it every single day since i watched it um and i watched it on tuesday night because of just the impact of of what happens to one of the characters in and kind of what it means in the broader world of the show and then beyond that as as they kind of move into getting parallel with where the breaking bad timeline took over it's i mean i i just can't say enough and i feel like if i do say more i would potentially spoil it so i'm not going to but i just wanted to again praise the goddamn hell out of this show to the to the high highest of high rises and i know barry i think you said the other day on your stream that you hadn't necessarily got into it or you you couldn't kind of get to grips with it um I'm I'm pitching you here to please please watch this show. I did the same with Dave, and it I took will. him a while to get into it. But kind of the the pacing of the first series, it 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 can be a bit difficult, I guess, because you have to pay like really pay attention because everything that's happening is kind of happening, you know, you know, legal and precedential and stuff like that. It's not necessarily all actions. Maybe. The fifth episode of the first series, like it's fantastic, the one that kind of focuses on Mike. It's called Five O. Um, and once you get past that episode, it kind of it spikes up a little bit. But the honestly, this show is just much like Breaking Bad did, but not quite as dramatic, the way it builds to its crescendos and it pays everything off. And it's fucking paying off in in spades in this last series. We're three episodes in, so much dramatic stuff has happened already. I'm already kind of half exhausted from the prospect of where it's going to go for the rest of the season, but incredibly anticipatory. And yes, uh, this is a, a pitch to you, my friend, to so please, please watch that show.
2: I absolutely will. I absolutely will. It's, it's, I've, me and the girlfriend have been planning to watch it. She, I, I made her watch Breaking Bad for the first time. I, it was like my fourth time rewatching yep. Breaking Bad. I, I love it. Uh, she loved it she wants to watch better Call Saul. And i was like you know i have been i, I watched it as it aired season one and I, I i was pretty tepid on it i didn't hate it or anything but i've been meaning to kind of go back because the praise has been effusive but i will we're in fact probably fairly soon i think we're, we're going to get to it uh i want to finish We're watching Banshee at the moment I want to finish that. So we'll probably finish that and then jump into uh, Better Call Saul.
1: Breaking Bad is one of those rare things as well where it's like, it's so cliche to say that your favorite show of all time is Breaking Bad because you hear it so much. And, you know, as a guy who's always, like, try to listen to music that's away from the mainstream and just generally not have mainstream tastes or whatever. But when it comes down to brass tacks, what's my favorite show? It's Breaking Bad.
2: Breaking Bad. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm totally yeah. with you.
1: Sometimes it's just, it's just Coca-Cola, folks. You know, what can <laughs> you say? you just got to go with the mainstream.
0: We've got uh, a fair amount of stuff here in what we've been playing this week, uh, running across all the decades and generations. And just for my own particular interest, uh, Barry, one of the things that you've got here is a game that I played in my childhood. And I remember at the time in my childhood going, this game is fucking impossible, but I will finish it. And I did. And then I recently played it on my now lost Retroid pocket uh, until, you know, it was gone. Uh, and that's Batman for the NES. Um, so I, my first question to you is, like, did you have, like, prior context for this game? Did you come into this, like, blind? Like, what, where was you with this game uh, prior to playing it this time?
2: Well, I, I know its reputation preceded it. Uh, my experience was I played the very good... Uh, you know uh, a game boy port which is obviously not as good as a fully a fully fledged uh nes version sorry it's bit my tongue there um uh but uh that was my experience with it i never came close to finishing that um but the actual nes version i'd never played so i i, I did fire it up similarly I, I am part of the the retro handheld gang um uh i'd heard you mention it and i i i'd finished a couple of other games i was playing on the handheld and i was like all right let's give this a go Um, and it's i mean the the first thing about it is that it is really solid i mean it it feels uh decent and and it looks nice and it sounds nice and all this other stuff and it's tough but it's kind of one of those things where i found myself getting to grips with it in the first two levels and then kind of the third level just completely (laughs) threw me for a loop and then it was kind of like the most deep uphill difficulty they started really incorporating um uh, um traversal with the challenge so it's not just kind of oh duck this obstacle duck this obstacle now there's a lot of kind of jumping, like basically what wall wall, wall wall jumping but also like fairly advanced for the era kind of like drop off this cliff but then wall jump off the thing you just dropped off of jump across this gap and there's an enemy doing a little classic uh platforming side to side walk on a platform but it's a very small platform so they're back and forth so if you're thinking ah i'll jump when they're facing away from me so that i can attack them from behind but the space they're walking on is so small that they turn around so quick that it's just like crazy and then they and then like i said uh, level three I, i think i might be getting my numbers wrong but you know fairly early on you get to the level where like half the walls have razors on them uh motorized classic video game death traps on the walls and on the ground and i'm just like oh okay we're just going here so i i haven't gotten much further than that i'm liking i think it looks and sounds really great um uh as a batman game and as an 8-bit kind of uh piece of nostalgia i think it, it's got the vibes down um and it is fairly responsive another thing i played on the handheld a couple of months ago uh, for the first time ever i played castlevania 1 Uh, And I did beat it. I beat it with about every emulation shortcut I could possibly take. I was safe sailing, rewinding. And towards the end, I just used, like, invincibility cheats. I was like, this is insane. This game is fucking in goddamn sane. And I know it's like the running meme that's like, oh, well, back in the day when you rented it, you just had to... Okay. If, if I if I if I rented that on a, on a Friday night I would have I would have gotten frustrated by around 11 o'clock and not touched it Saturday or Sunday I never would have finished it as a kid um so like Castlevania is cool and all I did like it but I'm like, it's incredibly yeah. stiff. Like, you're you, the enemies in that game, like the bats, they have all this fluid motion. They move in in zigzags, and they flow, and then Medusa heads are the same. Except your character. You have the stiffest, worst <laughs> character in a fucking platform game with these incredibly limited strikes. And, and that's why I'm somewhat surprised that, like, Batman... The movement and the wall jumping actually feels really great um, uh, uh, for for an NES game. Uh, so I, I'm not committing to finishing it, um, but I'm I'm certainly not dropping it now. Even though it's gotten quite hard, it's 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 a fascinating he, little thing. And I'm going to I'm going to stick with it for a while. Even
0: me with the patience that I have for these types of games and the ability to like save state every two seconds, I just got I hit a wall. Uh, I think, on the third or fourth level. And I was like, am I actually enjoying this? No, I'm not. Because I think it's either the third right. or the fourth level where you have those bullshit, like, gargoyle-looking fucking bat demons that are just pouncing back and forth. And the thing that you forget about... And, you know, games still do the, this to this day, but I don't think it's as prevalent, is the, like, you know, oh, you kill an enemy, but then you go back, and then you come forth... But, Back to that point and the enemy is just like you know right. uh, popped up again and it's like you've wasted half of your life if not more trying to take it out the first time and then for whatever reason you know you've come off the screen you come back on the screen and it's just re-emerging like well you know I'm fucked now uh, it's, I love that game as, as a kid <laughs> and I you know the soundtrack like for it's time it's it's a Stone Cold classic but I, I don't know if it's the most difficult game I've ever played Um, you know like but it's, it's pretty fucking relentless. Um, and I know I finished it as a, as a child. I don't know how I finished it as a child. Um, I guess I just didn't have many other things to play at the time.
2: Well, yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if your back is against the wall, you're going to play what you have, right? You know, you yeah.
0: Um, what else have we got on the list here? Uh, actually, I wanted to talk to you about Weird West because I have downloaded and I've played about half an hour of this on my Series S, and I've been playing it with a controller. Hmm. I am not enjoying playing it with a controller. Um, I'm finding mm. that like the aiming is really just not clicking with me. And there's, it's very rare that I play something and I think, you know what, I think I'd rather just play this with a keyboard and mouse. But I'm feeling like this is a game that I want to come back to and play with a keyboard and mouse because I'm just finding the position of trying to like aim to shoot at enemies. Um, now, I haven't spent that much time with it to try and figure it out. But the few times that I've tried to jump in with a combat, it's just not clicked with me. So like, tell me what you're thinking of it so far.
2: Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you in the sense that I would never be the kind of guy who says, this is better with a keyboard and mouse, because I've, I've been console my like, entire life, basically. I'm playing this in Series S as well, and I'm kind of like, uh, I, I'm about, it's, <laughs> I lost track of how many hours I'm into it, because it has an in-game timer, which is very useful. Um, it doesn't stop the timer during Xbox rest mode, uh so my timer is at like 90 hours now so I've lost I don't know how long I've actually been playing because when I if I suspend it and then rest to the console for a day it includes that. but anyway I think I think I'm about seven or eight actual hours of gameplay into it uh, and I will say for the first two hours I was wondering I was wondering if I was going to bounce off it for basically the exact reason you're talking about I think it's quite difficult it looks like a twin stick shooter but it kind of has that classic thing that like Fallout games have where it looks like a first person shooter but it's quite obviously a role playing yeah. game because it just doesn't feel yep. that good as a first person shooter. This game has that for this game has that for twin stick shooting. You look at it and if you're a guy who loves a twin stick shooter, you'll say, "Oh, okay, great." And it's got all this story and role playing. It's like, "No, this is a role playing game." And similarly, the live action combat is very it's very cool and ambitious. They've got they want you to throw barrels and oil cartons and use this type of weapon. Throw water on the enemies and then do lightning damage. They want you to do all that stuff, and it sounds awesome. But I almost feel like, you know what? Instead of doing this as a twin-stick shooter, I, th- again, this is not even my type of genre generally, but for this, I'm kind of saying this should have been turn-based or something. This should have been like... Pause and plan your attack on the battlefield type stuff. I don't know because they've got all these moving parts in the combat, but the control in your hand doesn't really feel very satisfying. Um, and also, I, I, I'm kind of thinking like, I don't know if I would use a mouse, but maybe if I went into the settings and maybe just right stick sensitivity or something, maybe might might help me a little bit. um I did get over the hump. I was dying a lot in the first couple of hours, and I was kind of like, Jesus, this is. I don't know if I can maybe be bothered with this, but there is like, it is actually just a hope to get over. The other thing that's though with that
0: is like the ammo scarcity early on. Like I just, I was constantly, I couldn't aim properly. So I was running out of bullets and then I had no bullets. So I was just mm. like, well, I just I'm going to stand around and die then and try again. You know, like there doesn't seem to be a way to get around. Like if you have no ammo, like I can still maybe get out of this scrap. It just, it just feels like once you get to that point, you're fucked. And the aiming isn't strong enough to make it feel like you're going to be able to actually kill these two guys to start with without running out of ammo to begin with.
2: It, it is one of those games, and I, I, I love games that give you options, but I, I really dislike when games do stuff like this, which is they tell you you have a million different ways to play, but really you should probably be stealth in it, um, uh, because at least to take out a couple of guys before you do the big fracas because if you just run in with your loud guns and just do the big fracas immediately yes it's fucking hard and it's kind of like it's a shame because it's like whenever and i think because there's a couple of dishonored devs working on this i think dishonored is one of the few games that does it really well you can go crazy in that game and still beat it you make it a little bit harder for yourself but you don't you're not obligated to do stealth with weird west i'm kind of like i kind of feel a little bit obligated to do a little bit of stealth it's it's um uh yeah the, the the combat is definitely the weak point um uh, of it i will say i've gotten over the hump uh, because i uh, first of all what you're saying with regards to the ammo that's definitely a big issue so my thing is to stealth quite a lot and loot everything and it's become a bit of a podcast game for me because i'm kind of doing a lot of grinding so i'll go to like little encounters around the open world or go to like abandoned areas where there's a couple of monsters and kill them and loot all their stuff and then go to a town and sell it and then use the money to beef up my armory type thing um uh, i will also say that i i'm making sure to constantly have a posse at least have a guy with you at all times more so again in, not unlike a souls game it's as much about pulling aggro away from you as it is actually killing the enemies if your ai pal just pulls them away from you that means you can do whatever you want um so so there there is a little bit of kind of gaming the system a little bit i i am i in my eight or so I've done a lot of exploring a lot of just i'm just gonna go to this town over here and see what it is and see what's here and and uh, I'm doing every side quest I've done loads of bounties that you know the bounty board in the first town I've done a lot of that stuff um uh so i'm i' uh uh I'm doing a lot of exploring one thing I will say is um i think the game's ambition is really cool i like that it straight up tells you when it's tutorializing you it, show, it, t- it shows you the quick save and it straight up like encourages you to save scum it's like here's the quick save try something weird in combat and then just quick load <laughs> if it doesn't work like wow. they, they they tell you that yeah. like, that's actually kind of cool uh and i also appreciate that they're like when you when you finish the first tutorial mission you go to the town during the tutorial mission, there's nobody there. And then you go back to the town, and it's like bustling. The shops have all reopened. And then they also tell you you can kill everyone if you want, including story characters. Now, I haven't done that because I'm like, I don't want to like shag myself out of missions and stuff. Um, I did, there is a side quest in one of the early missions where you go to one of the Stillwater. The Stillwater is the big evil gang, they're the big bads in the game. You go to one of their camps and you're like retrieving an item or whatever and along the way they'll have put one of their own in a cell because he's a traitor or whatever and he's like hey I've got this fucking special item if you get me out of this fucking cage or whatever he says and I just killed him I was like I, I don't like you guys even if you're even if you're fighting with your own gang so I just killed him that's a nice liberty I like to have in a game like this but I appreciate that they tell you like you can just kill everyone if you want I did I've already had one experience in my limited time with the game. Where I was exploring around the world, I found a little town, it was full of arseholes, I, it was quite difficult because it was very busy, but I eventually killed everyone, went around, looted them, great stuff, and then I went back to like the main town and I got a mission to go there and retrieve an item, and when I went there, I had already cleared (laughs) it out. And they'd also moved all the bodies to the graveyard, which is a nice touch, the the bodies get moved to the graveyard when you you clear out of town. What? uh another another example is like i did a I i went i found a farm and there's a side quest on the farm They're like oh we're having a zombie problem help us fight off the zombies did that made a made a friendship with him then i went to a a fancy kind of manor further afield and a lady there was like i'm owed some debt money from a farmer go and get him off him he's given me some sob story go get his money went back and it turned out it was the place i had already been to do the to help the guy. Uh and that was that was completely spontaneous. I just did that stuff in that order and it happened to work out that way. Uh but here's where here's where I bumped into some limitations with the game's system, right? Because it doesn't it doesn't have fully fledged uh conversations, right? You have very limited options. You can kind of say, here get out of here, punk, or you can play nice or you can play evil, and in some cases you can't even do that. Uh so I go to the guy and I'm kinda like, hey, I've been sent here to collect your money, and it and it kinda gives me the option to either take it or not take it, and I was kinda like, can I can I talk? Can I do something other than that? And so he gives me the money, right? And then I go back to the lady, and my plan was like, let, let's. I want to, like, um, uh, um, tell her to F off, basically. I like this guy. You're not getting his money uh, or whatever, right? And so I went to her, and your options were... Uh, he only has half the debt money, so your options are pay her the full debt, including some of your money, Give her half the debt that the guy gave you or tell her to F off. And I told her to F off. And I kind of thought that was honorable because I was helping my pal by not giving his money to this loan shark type character. But my reputation went down because it was like you chose to keep the debt money. It's like, but no, I don't want it. You didn't give me the text option right. to give it back to him. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, so it's super ambitious. It's super open. It's super play your own way. But as, as always the case with a game like this, and I mentioned Fallout earlier, even like Fallout 4 I was kind of criticized for this. The thing about a game like that is if you don't, if you give the player all those options, but every now and then they're like, wait, you're not letting me say the thing I want to say. That's very frustrating because it's like, it's really frustrating to get super close to that experience but not quite be there. Um and there's been a couple of other instances where I'm like I wish like when he initially gave me the debt money I was like no, give me a text option to say uh, let's do this or let's go on a mission to earn more or let's go kill her or let's you know, it, it, it's just it's ambitious but I feel like it's limited. I mean that's kind um, of
0: like an inherent uh, issue that you're always going to have with games because like at the end of the day you are still As much as you are in control with, you know, I'm the one that's pushing this controller forward, you are still bound within whatever rules the game has that's been created. So you may, like, at some point have, like, ten different options for this one specific thing. And you're like, fuck me, I've got all of these choices and all these things I can do. Mm. But, you know, just for whatever reason, at some point you're going to come across something else that is going to feel more restrictive based on, like, the fact that you thought that you had all of these options. And just that's it with games at some point you you are going to be forced to, to between a couple of choices and it isn't the one that you want to do but you know there are only so many things that uh, a, a developer and a designer can can map out before i don't know you've got a game that isn't a game anymore you're just doing real life i guess right the, I was gonna say, um, um, but- like visually and like the tone of the game. I because you mentioned zombies there, and I know that like at the start when it's kind of like mapping out the the kind of not the plot i guess but just kind of the tone for what this game is i got a real like image comics kind of like it's it's the west Mm -hmm. but it's you know well it's it's weird west and it's a little bit off kilter in this and kind of like weird i guess weirder stuff going on um like how kind of heavy does it lean into the fact that it is the wild west but it's obviously you know whether it's in a different kind of like universe of what the wild west would be like how much does it lean into that yeah. A
2: okay. lot a lot um uh, now a lot of the story stuff is kind of um uh, corrupt mayors and wise talking sheriffs and damsels in distress but i found like a lot it it seems like more kind of world buildy kind of stuff is that um so when you explore the game isn't fully open world in the sense that it has little towns and farms and mines and oil rigs but you don't physically walk across a huge open world to them you open up your map and you pick where you want to go and there's a little your character moves across the map screen in kind of humorous fashion um and the game has pokemon style random encounters so if i'm walking from crackle which is the first town to the, the the whatever farmstead i will be set upon by a bear or a pack of wolves but sometimes if you go deeper into the west which is the the burby is they use in the game the further west your character goes the weirder stuff gets um, sometimes it's a wraith sometimes it's a pig man sometimes it's um uh, a haunted bear it's a it's a group of zombies so there's i also fought fa- fa- like giant like troll looking things so there are tons of those creatures in the world um there's also i think that uh, i'm not quite sure if it's a scripted event or it's a live kind of network style live event but uh, when I booted up the game a couple of days ago, they put a pop-up on my screen saying, hey, there's a plague happening. And so if you get too close to graves, zombies will pop up. And it, it, uh, it, the game itself didn't quite... I don't know if that's a live online functionality thing or if that's just you beat a certain mission to trigger it, so I'm actually not too sure. But yeah, so it has stuff like that where, okay, there's a zombie issue in the overworld in general. Um, but yeah, you're going up against wraiths and ghosts and stuff like that. So it... it it leads into it but there's been very little like actual conversation about it um uh like the the big bad is a is best at, well actually the, the the stillwater gang some of them can turn into werewolves but again it's very nonchalant it's like an attack yeah. they do it's not even really a uh an explained thing so i think it is just kind of it's a cowboy story but we've just put monsters in it for a bit of fun basically is what it, it seems okay. to be. Um, yeah, I yeah, I'm digging it. I'm digging it, but it's it's um, it's, a, it's a quintessential glad it's on Game yeah, Pass type yeah. thing. I,
0: I think I'm going to download it on my PC and, and try it there and see how I go with the mouse and keyboard. Right. Um, you fin- as far as why you finished up Simpsons Hit and Run. I saw your review over on Backlog.
2: Yes, um, that that game that is one of those ones where um, I think I think I I, I think people it it comes up so often I've had multiple people come into the chat over the course of whatever the six or seven weeks I've been playing it um say oh man I wish they'd remaster this you see that all the time like sites like like the lad bible or all these kind of kind of like casual entertainment sites anytime a person who worked at Vivendi or who has ever worked on The Simpsons says I think they should make that game again they do the big splash headlight like, interest in, in Simpsons Hit and Run remastered because people do fondly remember it, and it's great clickbait because it's very fondly remembered, and everyone wants a remaster. I think if they remaster that game and just put it out as it was with a, a, a coat of paint, first of all, I would still appreciate it. I think that would be nice. I think it's a game that should be released because it is a cult classic, but I think it would probably be like a really big bummer if people actually sat down and played it um, with 2022 eyes the first section of the game that i think most people fondly remember when you're playing as homer and it's it's evergreen terrace and you're running around and oh my god i can go to the quickie mart i can get on the roof of the quickie mart i can go into school i can talk to this guy i can talk to this guy i can get in my car i can run over principal skinner i can do all that stuff that's great and it's still great it was great when i played a demo of it back in the day it was great when i finally got the game it was great in 2022 when i started it when you get like 90 minutes into that game, you have seen every mission they have. And they just do it again and again and again for eight, nine hours. And in, in really frustrating design, the way things in the tail end of the game get more challenging is you, you run the same basic levels over and over and over again. And it's always retrieve this item, get to this location before a certain time, beat this guy in a race... And the second half of the game is just taking comical amounts of time off you while you do these same basic missions so that the the razor thin margins to to beat the missions are super frustrating. And it's always just it's always just trucks and guys and cars. There's like a cutscene where Truosaururus from the TV show shows up. It's just in a cutscene. Kang and Kodos and their alien ships are in there. It's just a cutscene. There's uh, something. There's another big uh, big scene where a big... Uh, oh, uh, uh, Bart and Professor Frink go to the museum and there's a big T-Rex there, but it's just in a cutscene. Every, like, big end-of-act boss, for lack of a better term, is like a black sedan you have to beat in a race or or not even beat in a race. Sometimes it's just outrun them. And it's kind of like... it's It's not like a lazily made game. It's a real labour of love. You can tell stuffed with references it looks great it still looks great with 2022 eyes even though it is your know, standard definition looks great stuff references the voice actors are all there really nicely laid out levels very ambitious it's still i i would say just it's it's still a, a worthy mention in, in among the best licensed games but where things either didn't have the scope or the budget or the time or whatever the the obstacles were over the course of making it it's not the the, the actual missions are are I, there's the two here. things that
0: i want to uh, bring up there just the f- first was following from that i think um i would say it's more likely a case of either a time slash budget and so they knew they had x amount to work with and they were obviously like right. okay we're doing a grand theft auto game but as a simpsons game um and this is how long we have to work with like let's just try try and fucking ship something out Um, I think that's probably more the case. And the other thing as well about like you're starting with about the the kind of the the fond memories that people have for this game and the Mm. reverence around it. I wonder if a lot of that is based off of the string of prior Simpsons games from the kind of mid to late 90s that were all utterly horrendous. And everyone was just happy to have like a half decent, like competent Simpsons game, you know?
2: yeah very very possible very possible we've talked a lot about them on stream as well i mean i i feel like I've, i gotta stop buying shitty ps2 <laughs> games to stream but it's just it's, there's a lot of them uh, at some stage I'm, I'm just gonna end up by i'm gonna be playing fucking legends of wrestling soon i know that's not gonna be worth no, it, you're, it um,
0: that game has about 20 minutes worth of like interest and then that's it so okay yeah
2: i i recall that from the time but i was just kind of like oh i'm gonna end up buying fucking simpson skateboarding aren't i and it's gonna be absolutely i got that game for christmas one year to be fair to my mum, listen it was a great game i thought it was a great gift rather i thought it would be it was right up my street in terms of interest but holy jesus that game was horrible uh there was that i mean there was the wrestling game Um, obviously which was uh, uh, very fun novelty but absolutely horrible um uh yeah all the nes games are dreadful um so yeah i do think i think that's a huge factor i think it's i think it's um uh uh definitely a a a lot a lot of relief that they finally got a good one also like it came out obviously 2003 you're kind of into the badge years but the vast majority of references and stuff in that game are golden year stuff so it is like the ultimate kind of millennial simpsons referencing person's Soapbox, uh, uh, sandbox yeah do you know what i mean they get to go in there and fucking play with all the things that you, it's the ultimate put a coin into it and it makes the joke <laughs> thing and, and you're happy
1: yeah uh, um, well, like when the homer uh, when you, know, you were driving the homer i was just like oh man yeah
2: uh, that's great yeah. you know it's it's and i because i said earlier in the game i was like i wonder if the homers in this game probably not and oh it is yeah I, you know it's, it's um, do you know what i great. thought is
1: i i am very much a hands-on person i'll watch playthroughs of video games like if i don't get to get to them but like obviously you know I'll, I'll, I'll step in and have a watch of your twitch sometimes but I've watched most of the episodes of Simpsons Hit and Run and I am so glad that I watched you play it rather than played it myself because if I was just playing it myself I think I'd put the controller down halfway through the game Um because it just doesn't look yeah. like any fun to play but it, the experience and the jokes and the little moments and even the collector cards with the references to with yeah references. It, it's all really awesome to look at and feel and kind of drink in but it just looked like no fun when you were, <laughs> there's the mission where you were trying to collect all of the bits of scrap and then was a drive back to the retirement castle or something and it it, it just just looked so horrendous and like you didn't look like you were having fun at that point and i just think like yeah if this was me i'm just like nah uh, uh.
2: i really i really wasn't and 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 like i said that's why the, that's why the word i mean it, it would be a bummer because i think a lot of people have it in their heads that, that it is a certain way because like i said whenever you see like people do constant kind of nostalgia bait about that game There's probably, someone's probably doing a post right now for like Buzzfeed fucking nostalgia or some (laughs) shit where it's like, remember Simpsons Hit and Run? And the footage they always show is Homer running around that first level. Because that, first of all, that was also a demo that came out with like the PlayStation magazine. I played that thing to death. That was mind blowing. Again, before you actually got to play the game, the the fact that it was like, it just seemed like the type of thing that your friend would tell you in the schoolyard, but you knew he was bullshitting. They'll never make a game where you get to actually run around Springfield. And then I played the demo. I was like, this doesn't seem real. It was crazy. Um and like and it's like most people's nostalgia is for that first section of the game because it's a wonderful vertical slice of a of a phenomenal game. The actual rest of the pie is just like incredibly disappointing. Yeah, it's it's maybe the best um, game to
0: apply the the Garrett method to, you know? Yes. Definitely.
2: Oh my god, yes, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Garrett would think this game was ten yeah. out of ten. He'd put it down after doing the first mission where you like race Smithers or whatever. And he's like, yeah, it's great. What are you talking about? You can you go into the quickie Mart, uh, uh, Jasper's in the freezer, what more yeah, do you
1: want? Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with, with your sentiment on that because I, I just... I had no recollection of any of the missions from this game all i remembered was the environments and the silly bits and pieces and the bees camera wasp camera things that were everywhere and you know like you could buy different outfits like i remember Mm. buying when i was younger buying the lisa florida outfit and just Mm. running around in that and having a blast but did i remember like dick about any of the missions. No, I really didn't. So Barry, until I watched this replay of you, I would have been taken in by those Buzzfeed articles. They they're meant for suckers like me who were like, oh yeah, I love that game. Whereas, mmm,
2: it ain't that good, is it? <laughs> to be honest. And it's a shame because it is such a great concept, but like like I said, people beg for a remaster. I think it'll be boring. I think a sequel would be phenomenal, because if you can if you can take that idea flesh it out better with more exciting missions it, it would absolutely be the template is there you know um but i'm glad i revisited it you know um uh, I, I still it still has a place in my heart just because you know now that i have it i have a copy of it and a save game that's beaten all the missions i could see myself dropping back into it once every couple of years for a bit of fun to just go around all the levels and just you know do all that but uh, yeah a campaign playthrough i probably would never ever do. Right, i'm I giving
0: you two minutes on elden ring because it's not like we've had enough people fucking talking about this game this year
2: you know what i don't really have too much to say about it which is which is lucky for you um uh things like things have been super busy in 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 non-gaming life for me lately so i haven't had a whole lot of time to play games when i'm not streaming um i remember when i started streaming elden ring at the beginning of, of april my plan was to like outstream stream it on wednesday but I'm going to keep playing it during the week so next wednesday who knows where i'll be that's maybe i'll have finished it maybe i'll be at the final boss that didn't happen every every second i've played Eldering ring this month has been documented on stream because i haven't had time or energy to play it off air so it's all on there for everyone to see uh it's great um i just got to um uh, probably the most talked about boss fight now that the game has been out for months margit was the big early talking point because he's early in the game now that the game's been out and multiple people have finished it also Radan seems like the big talking point i've got there it's spectacular i mean so much energy is wasted talking about the difficulty of these games that the spectacle art and the scale of them is completely lost which i think is so unfair uh when i was fighting the dragons in elden ring i felt like this is like freer and more satisfying and more open and more epic to use the most generic words in the world more epic than skyrim any zelda game any any fantasy project you would care to mention riding around on horseback in this huge open world fighting a dragon feels great and then radan is that times 10. you're fighting this boss in a big massive desert it's like the size of a whole open world in a game from a few years ago he's got these absolutely ridiculously huge attacks he's sending like he's blackening out the sun with these uh hail of swords he's firing at you again you're on horseback you're riding through the desert it's like shadow of colossus type scale and also, in in a completely unsoulzy way, or at least in my limited experience with, with with the franchise, having only played this and Bloodborne, you can't just summon a character. You can go fucking Infinity War mode and, and and summon every friendly NPC you've met up until that point, so that you're just doing the fucking final battle from Endgame. You're charging at him with all your friends behind you. It is so unbelievably cool it is just like the most like satisfying like uh uh, like boss fight and and most like legitimately epic boss fight again to use the the cliche term i can remember playing in god knows how long since probably since like the hydra fight in the first god of war 15 years ago you know what i mean um i haven't even beaten it yet which is which is a a sign of how how um, good it is that i didn't even get the sweet taste of victory and i still love it um but uh yeah uh, uh that game continues to like amaze at every turn and i'm like 40 hours in so getting to, to like that redan fight and being like oh what the fuck this is like not what i was expecting completely different to everything else i've seen so far and it's jaw-dropping and i'm like i'm still being shocked 40 hours in and i'm not even i'm roughly halfway through the game so um there's your elden ring for five-ish cool. minutes thanks great <laughs> uh
0: and I'll leave off there with, with uh, Looney Tunes. Which fucking one of these 85 different versions of the game is this?
2: Yeah, this is the Game Boy game from Sunsoft. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've been playing, like, uh, with uh, so the the handheld I have is the, the RG351 MP. A lot of the stuff I've been playing on it, I mean, Batman and Castlevania are new, but I've mainly just been playing stuff from my childhood. I've been going straight for the n- nostalgia vein, and this is one of those ones I remember having playing to death. Playing on long car rides, playing with my friends. Like it was my copy, but when I was hanging out with my friends, it's a tough game. So it was one of those we pass it back and forth, trying to beat it. Um, and it holds up pretty effing well. It's it's uh Game Boy games in particular, I've really been admire, admiring going back and looking at like people did really cool things with the art in that in those games for how incredibly limited they were. Um, and like the the Roadrunner level in the Looney Tunes game looks great. So basically, it's a um a side scrolling platformer but basically every level is more or less different like they have more conventional uh platforming uh porky has like a plain auto-scrolling level roadrunner has an auto-scrolling level um uh, and things like that some of the characters have projectiles some of them don't um it's good it's, it's a really really solid platformer the physics are a little bit floaty a little bit slidey but it's not too punishing uh as far as the incredibly hard platformers all of us have been playing on these devices uh this one is is not too bad uh yeah it's great it's just it's it's a really fun um uh quick playthrough um and i I thoroughly enjoyed it um yeah so it was it was a bit a bit of that nostalgia ping that actually didn't disappoint when you when you physically revisit revisit the actual playing of it so yeah thumbs up it's just called looney tunes um uh on the on, on the the title front,
0: uh, uh, I'm gonna really segue good. over to you, Jack, because you've just basically got. I've been playing Game Boy games, so I'm curious to know which ones you've been diving into now.
2: Game Boy uh, podcast, yeah, let's go! Yeah, I
1: know, right? Um, so I got my Retroid Pocket this week. Um, sidebar, it's kind of been disappointing because the, oh, yeah, no. because the joystick, uh, the left joystick doesn't work, so I'm currently locked in a. In a, in a back and forth email exchange with Retroid customer service as to whether or not they can supply me with a new one or at very least take mine and fix it. Um, so that, that could be rough. But I thought, look, I still have this thing and it's still going to play games where I don't need a joystick. So I haven't really been able to tap into any of the kind of N64 ship that I wanted to get to or any of the Sega stuff Mm. really too much or like even attempting PS1 or PS2 games. Uh, I've just been playing. I'll just tell you right
0: now, don't attempt PS2 games on that thing. (laughs) It's not going to go very well. (laughs)
1: Look, fair enough. God loves to try, it, though. Yeah, you know? I, I. But I'm gonna try it just, just for a bit of fun, just. To I see I kinda...
0: downloaded Simpsons Hit and Run on mine, and it it runs a P- PS2 games in as such as that it will launch it, but that is about as far as it will go. So
1: yeah, and that's it. Yeah. Uh okay, fair enough. Um, so I'm pretty safe sticking to my Game Boy games then. Yeah, um, I'd say so. So I first I mean I I went right for you know what I knew I would would get me which was I played Super Mario Land I played Super Mario Land Two Six Golden Coins. Naturally, naturally. absolutely yep. still brilliant. I, I I forgot how much harder Super Mario Land is than Super Mario Land Six Golden Coins. So initially, for the first little bit of me playing that game again, I was like, oh yeah, this kick they kick my ass. Um, and managed to get back into the swing of it. Like that, some of the platforming that is very very precise, whereas Six Golden Coins is kind of more of, uh, more akin to where um those Mario games kind of went in in afterwards and it just feels like more of a, you know, themed world land that you can kind of walk through and you have the different crazy critters, you know. It does feel like a condensed version of Super Mario 64 a little bit to me, but kind of kind of more cartoony um and obviously the T D platformer field. Um I also played what is often forgotten, uh Forgotten Mario platformer, and that is Donkey Kong, um, for, for Game Boy, which is very much the Donkey Kong style arcade game. It's not kind of what Donkey Kong games became, where you, you're actually controlling either Donkey or Diddy. Um, and at some point, I want to play some of those Donkey Kong Country games at Game Boy because I, I remember having a hell of a blast of those. But, um, you know, there's the. Mario platformer like that that no one really talks about is this Donkey Kong game and I had not played it for years it's a game that I never owned but I, I lent off someone for a while and I was like you know what while I'm on this Mario, Mario
2: nostalgia trip I'll go back and play that and I find that it oh, it's the it's the secret best version of any donkey kong game that game yeah. boy game it's the secret best it is <laughs> it is
0: really really fun i I'm was sorry, having I'm a blast. fucking kicking you two out of the call cool now i'm not, not having this <laughs> no
2: no mark have you played it yes, have you I played have it played have you it. played it but it's, I've it's also way played better donkey than any of the others no 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 i'm talking i'm talking of like the old school donkey kong games where you're a jump oh, man right right It's 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 because I I actually don't really like any of those old Donkey Kong games. I appreciate their legacy, except Donkey Kong on the Game Boy is like the one that's like actually good. Exactly, it's it's
1: surprisingly good, and I had really good memories of it. So I I played that for a good hour and a half, and I it just flew by. It was it was so much fun to kind of revisit, and I didn't have the same level of memory depth that I had on on mario land and and six golden coins so I just I just it kind of was a real pleasant surprise um I I you know I spoke to Garrett last week about how the first game boy game I ever had was a really shitty movie tie-in for navy seals um and I played the navy seals game and you know what it it the the music and the opening of the game and everything gave me the nostalgia hit and then within about half an hour i was like i can't fucking play this game it's just it's not good and it's really hard which is the worst combination of things that you would ever want in a game um yeah i just that that kind of it bummed me out just a little bit uh other games i i, I dipped into wario land a little bit um mm. which again is just another absolutely fantastic platformer from, from that era. I, I really think whenever people talk classic Mario games and Wario and, and, and projects like they always forget how good these Game Boy platformer games are. You know, everyone's got the nostalgia for the NES and the Snares, And, you know, obviously when we hit Mario 64, like and it goes into 3D and stuff. But nobody ever really seems to give these games the credit they kind of deserve. Um, had a couple games of the original Tetris as well. Um, you know just that that's kind of my intro to it and just getting back that feeling of of what it felt like to play that game in that format with the the limited colors and everything and just yeah kind of taking it in and the the music and it's just it, it 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 was nice it's like really nice to be playing all these games but kind of deep buried in the back of my head was the bummer of like man i really want to dig into some of these other games but this fucking joystick thing i really need to get sorted out so i kind of after a couple of days of like playing it like back and forth in the evening i was like you know what i'm just gonna wait now and i'm I'm gonna save the rest of these treats to uh to play myself again further down the line but uh needless to say i have a heroic amount of roms installed on the memory card so if they (laughs) do need to send me a new one i'll just be able to just take that one out and put put it right back into a new one so the, uh, yeah
0: the the only unfortunate thing is that um I didn't like spring this kind of seed into you guys to pick one of these up about 3 months later when uh Droix decided to start like supporting um all of these consoles basically because they're based in the UK and just you know like the support is much more immediate and basically they get shipped out in a few days. Now, I know that they're, they're backfilled with the the Retro Pocket um, till like, the end of May, um, which is, yeah. Oh, wow. Because uh, I was thinking, like, because I don't know when the fuck my Odin is coming and I'm like, I, I have an itch that needs to be scratched and I want to buy something in the meantime... Um, so, I'm like you know maybe I'll just get another retro pocket, but like there's no way I'd be getting one anytime soon anyway. So um, yeah, that that really sucks, for you Jack. Uh, I I is it just is it completely dead? Like just it doesn't do yeah. anything.
1: It doesn't work, and um, there's like oh, a wow. there's like an inbuilt thing to kind of test the buttons, um, and all of the buttons return inputs because you can either look at the like a visual display of the button inputs or you can look at you know mm. their actual kind of physical press A down, release A, like text lines in the code and not a single not a single peep on the left joystick. There's a joystick calibration. It didn't work in the joystick calibration. So basically what I've got from retro customer service now is that I have to send them a video. So I'm gonna have to sort of like shakily record what? Yeah, I know. I'm gonna have to sort of shakily record, you know, on my phone me with my my, my ailing retro pocket trying to f- fucking press this joystick thing that isn't working um but yeah right out of the box so you know i i hope that they're cool i hope that they can send me a replacement or can fix it and it isn't too much of an ordeal so it's it's kind of on a knife edge right now how i how i feel about the retro pocket experience because it's not the best it's
0: it's fair and it, it is the risk that you have when uh you know buying something from China, not specifically to like direct like anger towards China, but just like hey, you're dealing with uh products that are are much farther away. And I was saying that I've been blessed at least that with like the Odin, um they've been like, you know, doing weekly updates about what's going on and they've been super transparent about it, and that's been awesome. Um but, you know, like sometimes you just kinda you, you don't know what you're dealing with. You you have no idea what kind of support you're going to get? It's one thing if I, you know, send a message to Nintendo and say, "Hey, you, like you fuckers, my Joy-Con isn't working," and they're like, "Oh yeah, send it to Germany. Fine, we'll fix it. No issues." Um, but it's it's a different uh, barrel of fish you, you're dealing with. So, my fingers across for you. I, I do hope that um,
1: yeah, because I mean, it back. just just like quickly, like the form factor. And the layout and everything about the Retroid Pocket is so good. Like, when I unwrapped it, it just immediately made me feel happy just to be holding <laughs> it in my hands. And they've so nailed it. And, you know, how it feels to hold when you're playing it and everything, that the, even the location of the triggers and that they've got everything so right. I'm just like, oh, man, please just send me a working version of this so I can, I can feel the same levels of hype and enjoyment that Garrett and Dave, I'm sure, are right now in their screening of Morbius. <laughs> all right i got two things uh that i have
0: given the old garrett method to, so not too much to talk about for the moment but i picked up the ultra deluxe version of the stanley parable um oh that I'm yes on series s at the moment and I'm pretty sure that we had a book club feature on this game way back when, when we was doing that kind of thing, um, which is primarily a Dave joint, because it was saying Stanley Parable is a game that I was more aware of than actually one that I spent any time with, but I was very much clued into, like, the concept of this game and this idea that, you know, you... You had like a narrat, a narr- narrator who was telling you what you were doing, and you could either choose to go along with it or subvert that and go in a different direction. And the narration would follow along suit, and you would play off of that. And you know, it's a really compelling idea for a game. So I went in at least knowing that much, which in itself kind of it doesn't ruin the experience, but certainly, like certainly for someone like me who is super invested in this kind of thing, in game design, in narrative design. And kind of, like, just wanting to tinker around with this little toy box and see what I could do with it and what the different directions that the story would go. And just deciding, like, right, I'm going to sit myself in the middle of this room because I know that he's saying stuff and he's going to continue talking about the fact that I'm still in the middle of this room. I just want to, like, interact with every part of the environment to see how the the narr- narrator will play off of that. And so that's been, like, for the, the brief amount of time, I, I did, like, two run-throughs um so this game from what i remember or understand the original version has like 19 different endings and this updated version has a 20 additional endings as well um so i don't know how much that plays into like additional areas and content that you go into i guess i'm going to find out over time but like the two run-throughs that i've done so far were no longer than about 15 20 minutes each so you know i I'm guessing some of them will be longer. I'll wait and see, um, but you know, like the the general idea of it is, um, you are in an office and everyone has disappeared, and it's very much of that kind of. I think this this would be before. Um, Uh, Gone Home because Gone Home was 2013 I want to say and this is 2011 so it's before that but it very much kind of fits within that frame of like you know there's no one else around Um, the animation is very uh, minimal Um, so like more time and effort can be given to other aspects of the game just like the tone of it and the the dialogue basically the one thing that you do realize with it is it's very much like yeah this is a game that came off the portal in terms of the writing and the humor and the pacing of, like, just the, the comedy timing, you know, it very much you can feel that this is a game that came off of the back of Portal. I mean, in some ways it literally did. It was originally a Half-Life 2 mod. And, it, you know, it's still, even with this remastered version, you can see that it looks like a game that would have came from that engine. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I've only had the two... Uh, sessions that I've played through and none neither of the sessions uh particularly like wowed me or just like floored me or made me laugh but you know I've barely scratched the surface yet but I can clearly see you know there's one bit where um the the Nar- Narisa goes like uh and Stanley went left and I decided to go right and he's like hmm well you know that wasn't the choice I went with but we'll go over it anyway and then they get to the bit where Basically, you know, towards the, the latter half of, um, uh, I can't remember if it was Portal 1 or Portal 2, but you basically go like behind the scenes and everything's like in chaos and it's just, you know, yeah. that, that kind of clean, sterile, um, industry lab type of setting has just kind of gone out the window. It's a similar thing here where you start off in an office and then by the end of it, you're like behind the scenes and everything's in disarray and there's rubble all around um and like in the second playthrough uh, the guy is just like why didn't you follow my instructions and it, it really goes like you know it's a game that's going to break the 4-4 a lot i can tell mm. um but yeah super compelling so far and because like if if all of the playthroughs are more than like no more than like 20 minutes long um it's absolutely the kind of game that i'm just going to jump into play a session do some different things that i didn't do before and see like all right what way off the beaten path are we going to go this time? So, um, I yeah, I it's 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 very compelling, uh, and it's such a cool idea for a game. And I do want to see just like how how much it plays with like you following the instructions to see like what happens, and you not following the instructions and see how the game reacts to you not following the instructions. You know, um, yeah. I, I then, if you either you two had any uh, time with the original or any kind of like no, okay.
1: no no I it's one of those games I want to uh, get to this one yeah it's one of those games that I've read about a lot and I know that if I, I threw myself into it I probably would have I would enjoy it but it's just something I've never got around to It's kind of like on the list of you know how there's always like maybe 10 or 15 shows like you know and I, I realize I'm a hypocrite now because I was like begging Barry to watch better Call Saul earlier in this but it's always one of those ones on that pile of like yeah I really need to get to this but I'll, I'll get to it I've I future biased it for years now. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: I think it's like 15 or 20 quid, certainly no more than that. So, um, I, do, I do think it, there's a lot of bang for its buck. Um, and the other thing that I, I played for about 20, 25 minutes before we started recording, because I at least wanted to have something to talk about uh, before we did the show, and that is the new Switch Sports that released today. Um, and so far, I've I had a very quick game of bowling, a very quick game of tennis, and then I played around with the football mode. And for the the bowling and the tennis, if you played Wii Sports, it is very much the bowling and the tennis of that uh, of that era. Like it feels pretty much the same. Um, it's a bit weirder having to use the Joy-Con, um, but you know, it's still it's as responsive. And because I was thinking about like. You know, when I played the original Wii version, I had obviously the sensor bar right in front of me, and I had to, I kind of stuck within that area that it allowed me to work with. So I was like, how is it going to work with the Joy-Con in comparison? How much freedom am I going to have to move around? But it's completely responsive. I didn't have any issues with that. And what I liked about uh, the tennis and the bowling is that there was no instructions. It didn't give me like 10 minutes of telling me, like, hey, you can swing and you can throw and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It just presumes that you know what the fuck you're doing and you just want to get in and do some bowling. And I'm fully on board with that. So I just, I'm strutting the bowling alley and, you know, whacking out a few strikes in no time. I can't remember if in the the Wii version, because I feel like it was, because certainly my muscle memory had me trained to think that you as you like held down in this case you're using the the zr button as you hold it down as you go to like let go of the ball you would let go of zr or like i guess it was the was it the z button back right way the back button was the trigger button on, on the wii Yeah, uh, i think that is Z.
1: yeah
0: yeah you would let go of that button as you would let go of the ball But I can't remember if that was a fact or not. But certainly with here, you just hold on to that trigger the whole time. And so a bunch of times I was letting go of the trigger before, like, you know, launching. And it would be like, no, 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 you're doing this wrong. You have to hold the trigger. So I can't remember if that was changed or I just, you know, in my head had forgotten how to actually play bowling. But those two, you know, there's really nothing more that I can say about them. They feel very much as they did uh, of its time. Um, You could say that's a good thing. It's a bad thing you know you can make arguments either way uh if you want just the authentic wii sports experience it definitely does that if you were hoping that there would be a few more bells and whistles yeah. there certainly isn't at the moment but you know we know there are more games uh, uh sports are coming we know that there's going to be more work done on this so you know maybe they'll add more stuff over time we'll see with the football though uh so first of all it does give you the tutorial on how it works because it is a new game
2: I would hope so. That, that was the most ambitious looking one of the ones they yeah. showed. And yeah.
0: so I've seen a couple of comparisons going around saying like, hey, it's like Rocket League. And there certainly is a bit of that in terms of like, you know, there's a ball on the pitch. It's uh, when you're playing online, it's 4v4 and you're, characters constantly targeted like where the ball is and you're running around this field you know just it's complete chaos and you're trying to hit it in the ball uh, in the goal the oversized goal at the other end of the pitch like the the, the dynamics of it basically it is very much in that kind of rocket league ilk it's a little bit more slower paced because you're not in cars obviously you're running around and you also have um kind of similar to Rocket League where you have like a stamina meter um but except with uh Rocket League where you would have like the different uh like power-ups over the court that would you know give you like additional boost at that moment in time here you basically you you have two modes of speed you have normal running and then you have like the boost running Once the stamina runs down... you Basically you can run around at your normal pace still... But you have to wait until that charges back up... Not all the way... But Mm. you just have to basically run around at the normal pace... To allow the boost to, to charge back up... And so... It's kind of frustrating... Because like... With Rocket League... You could be constantly fixated on the ball, but you could also maybe decide, all right, I'm going to leave the ball for a second and I'm going to go like boost up by going to get one of the the power-ups. But here you don't have the option. So you're really just kind of like waiting until you have enough stamina to run to the ball. So the tactics of that is a bit different and it feels a little bit more kind of slow paced uh, as a result. And I guess just because I'm so like enamored and used to Rocket League that I'm not used to this way yet, but I'll get there with time. Um, but it's really fun. I I, I played two two sessions. Um, you can either swing like just swing the right joy control joycon controller, uh, and you'll kick the ball. And if you swing in a specific direction, the ball will kick in that direction. Or if you uh, swing both joy cons down, you'll do like a diving header. But like the the animation isn't kind of fluid enough that you look like you're doing a diving header. And sometimes if you're kind of on the spot, you basically look, you just belly flop, um, but you'll still head the ball <laughs> as well. And uh, I, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, um, I, it's the kind of thing that I think I could definitely spend a lot more time playing. It, it does feel to some degree, it feels like it's uh, like a, a full guys uh, mode. You know, it, it doesn't quite have the fluidity in the scene, the, the smoothness of a Rocket League type of uh, style of game. Um it, mm. But it's it's definitely like functional for what it is. And, and you know, um, I was able to get, jump into a couple of games pretty quickly. And um, I don't think I couldn't see any way to do like a three 3v3 three or 4v4 like local um like the local game of football i played it was just 1v1 and 1v1 just doesn't work it's way too slow um there's just not enough stuff going on like it you like 1v1 in rocket league you can totally do it it's no fun here with the the football in this so i'd recommend just jumping straight into the online mode and playing it that way um everyone no one knows what the fuck they're doing so it's not exactly like you're gonna get pummeled um <laughs> early on anyway and, uh, and yeah, and it, it kind of works. So I haven't tried the badminton yet. I haven't tried the volleyball. And I think there's like a, a fencing one. Um, but it's still, you know, it's Wii Sports in terms of it's very stripped down. There's not a lot of bells and whistles going on. It's pretty much just jump in. There are the six sports. Go and play them. Um, with the football, you do collect points um, that I don't know what they're used for yet because I, I don't know if, like, I'm going to be able to, like, buy outfits and shit like that. I need to wait and see. I need to play a few more uh, games. But, yeah, it's Wii Sports, but it's sweet on the Switch, and it works. And, I like, can't really ask for more than that other than give me the Golf so I can try that. Um, I don't know if I, you two are kind of thinking of picking it up, but...
2: Um, how much is how it? I mean, when you name? started talking about it, I, was, I didn't realise it was out already. Um... <laughs> I never played Wii Sports. I ah. never had Wii. So, um, so this is a you fascinating prospect about, to me, right? but... <laughs> uh, I, I, could, I could do some fucking exercise, to be honest with you. Um, it's really not the uh, so kind maybe, of
0: thing that you're going to be working up a not sweat. not really? Not really, no.
2: Okay, maybe I should just get ring Honestly, fit Honestly, yeah, if of um, the two,
0: you'd probably be off with ring fit. Because with this, like, the tennis game, you don't have to do anything more than just fucking swing your arm. Like, you don't have to fling right. side to side. Like, the most activity you're going to do is in the football game because you're going to be violently swinging both arms to try and do the diving header. But, you know, I haven't right. tried... Excuse me, I'm. there are three other sport modes in here, so maybe they're more, like, physically demanding, but no, I, I think if you wanted to actually, like, get a sweat going on, I'd say Ring Fit is more suited.
2: Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious about it. I'm curious about it. Um, it's It's hard to... You know, I mean, even in a quiet year like this, the backlog is quite large, so it's kind of hard to um, to squeeze something like a not to be really dismissive of it, but like a motion sports mini game collection. It, you know, it's full price, uh, isn't it? Uh, no, it's forty quid. That's ah, yeah. not bad. Okay, I guess I, that that might be easier to yeah, justify. That was but, yeah. my first
1: question. I'm, was like, how much does it cost? Because yeah it's 40 quid but i think
0: maybe it's a little bit more if you want the one that has like the strap that you can use because there's like a there's a, okay. a new mode in the football game that you can strap it to your leg to do like penalties your leg uh but yeah. like oh yeah dig- digital is 40 quid
1: <laughs> just hoofing that through tvs i can imagine it's yeah, gonna happen yeah. for the next few weeks yeah yeah 30, so 35 pound in england you can pick it up for at the moment
0: and the, the thing is with a game like this because you mentioned there about like you know the the backlog and stuff it's not really that kind of game it's it's a very it's just it's a party game you know it's the kind of game that we have some people that come around once a month and we'll play like a bunch of jackbox party pack it's that kind of thing you know um you're just gonna you're gonna load it up you boot it up you're gonna play uh, a couple of rounds of bowling or a couple of rounds of football and then it'll go away and then you come back to the next month you know it, it doesn't really serve anything more than that um so you know uh it certainly is like a, a perfect accompaniment to to like the backlog you know um here i am trying to fucking sell on the half of half of nintendo like they need me to <clears throat>
1: I, I think if it was, like, 20 quid, I'd probably buy it, like, after we finish recording. But, yeah. And if I want to commit to 35 quid for something, I feel like I would just play a little bit Garrett-style and then just probably never play again. Uh, because I don't have people over once a month <laughs> to to play video games anymore, um, which, is, which makes me sad. But, uh, yeah, I just... I don't know if this is... It doesn't feel like an essential thing to play before Game of the Year time comes around.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean... I certainly for like you know the the bowling or the tennis is the kind of thing that you would because I remember playing like a whole bunch of we we sports bowling when I was younger and playing with other people even if it was just one other person you have someone to play off of and definitely yeah, that sometimes is, that
1: was me Mark
0: yeah sometimes it was you yeah uh, I will say the football mode like definitely you can do that just. Op- uh, by yourself online. Now in fairness, this game does have an online mode for all of the different uh sport modes. So um I haven't tried, you know, like playing against someone online at a game of bowling. It does have that to give you at least a level of like competition or whatever. I don't know how involved or advanced or if there's like a ranked mode, I need to look into that. But at least it does have that level to it where back in the day, you know, Wii Sports was just a local multiplayer game uh, best. Right. Sorry,
1: Indeed.
0: did I hear you there, no Jack? Sorry? Sorry, I thought you said something.
1: No, no, no. I, was just, I was just agreeing.
0: Uh, but yeah, uh, that's it. I probably will have more to say about that over the upcoming weeks. Uh, let's jump into the news before we sign off for today. Um, first things first, Sony have confirmed that the ability to extend active PlayStation Plus subscriptions have been blocked uh, until premium launch in June. Um, This week, PlayStation Plus subscribers found that they were unable to redeem prepaid voucher cards and extend their subscription time, even if it was about to run out. Bewildered customers were told the situation was temporary, but not given further explanation. Sony has now updated its FAQ page for its upcoming PlayStation Plus changes and acknowledged the move and said that for now, you'll only be able to redeem prepaid vouchers you have bought after your current Plus membership expires. Uh, Why is this happening and why are customers who have bought PS Plus or Now cards now simply getting error messages. Um, Sony said that as we prepare to launch the new PlayStation Plus membership service, we are doing some work behind the scenes to make the transition as smooth as possible for all of our existing customers. As part of this work, we are temporarily disabling stacking memberships for existing customers until after the launch. Um, Did either of you see the uh, the layout, the presentation of like how all of this stuff is going to work?
2: i saw that and i did the keanu i ain't reading all of that meme i'm like wh- whatever i'll just look when they launch it and see what i have and pay the difference like i they put out a fucking thing that ma- would make the sonic team blush i was like what the fuck is this i just don't care i'll figure it out on the day it looked ridiculous it's like it's it's not um, of them
0: to have that there but
2: if, I, if guess, you're, yeah, like, just I guess yeah i your average
0: joe consumer you're taking one look at that and going uh oh, nah no nah, i'm good thanks
2: and and it's it's funny you mention average joe consumer because there's a real whiff of this so obviously so so when they announced the launch of this new service they said hey if you've playstation now we'll just give you the high tier of playstation plus when it launches so people were going out and like stacking playstation now subs but There's a whiff of, like, Netflix blaming their decline on password sharing about it. I don't think any meaningful number of people were going out and stacking PlayStation Now memberships. That's such a hardcore gamer, quote-unquote, online thing to do that it seems so needlessly kind of, like, uh, stingy to to freeze that option, Um, uh, which, which I do think it is stingy. I think that's why they're doing it. And, like... We're transitioning, like not just in games, but like movies, TV, wrestling, every type of media you consume. We're transitioning more and more towards this subscription model. Like, shouldn't Sony, like, yeah, they're maybe they're 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 um getting a little cheap deal off you, but shouldn't you be happy that people are going out there and stacking months upon months upon months of membership with you? Like, isn't that the goal? Sure, maybe they're cheesing the system a little bit to get a couple of bucks off, but like. The goal, obviously, is zero churn, yeah. isn't it? Like that you want you want people They're, in your exactly. system for years. So the negligible amount of people who would do it surely you should be happy to keep them anyway. You know, uh, this seems like this seems like very typical Sony kind of overthinking. We're gonna do it our way because that's the way we do it. Uh, shit, to be honest,
0: I, I don't even think it's like specific to Sony. Uh, I, I think that well, you know, that's I fair. Think yeah. companies as a whole and outside of that spectrum, and you mentioned like Netflix there. Um, Which I think is even a better example of, like, finding things to blame that isn't, like, their own kind of root cause. Oh, maybe it's actually us as the problem, not you. And,
1: uh... No, it's the
0: children who are (laughs) (laughs) wrong.
1: I just think the idea that anyone has prepaid for something and they now can't redeem it is insane. Like, there needs to be a way of, like, why can't people stack it and then it just converts... Into as much as they have, and they say, "Look, this will this will be as far as it goes." Because I feel like the most you can buy would be a year, right? You can't buy beyond a year, can you? I don't, I don't think you can, anyway. But look, this is going to change from this service to this service, and you've already pre-bought this, so you can have as much of this as the new service, but then you can't redeem anything beyond this year, and then that just stops. That just stops it from happening, then, and and then going forward if they don't want to have that model anymore. But people have already paid money to interact with the service, therefore they should be granted access to 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 whatever they've paid for. It's just simple. It's a simple consumer right. So this rubs me up the wrong way from Sony. I don't think they handled this too well.
0: I'm just like I'm looking at uh, because Eurogamer has a breakdown of that. Uh, page with all of the details and it's just like I guess because you have all of these tiers that you need to calculate this out but it just it seems like it's so fucking complicated for something that should be so simple you know I remember a time it's was just like I, I remember like back in the day with um, when I had my uh, my Xbox 360 and there was just like there were two tiers you know there was one where just I could buy some games and there was one that I could have that and I could also play online as well and I was like that's great that's perfect just keep it simple and clean Or even like with uh, the Switch Online, you know, like you can, maybe we can argue about the value of it, but it's like, no, just I can buy this additional bundle here and I have all of this other stuff and that's great. Um, it does seem like Sony is, is making this very complicated but
1: the names are so fucking nebulous as well Essential Extra and Premium they suck like, they li- are literally names. literally from those three names like yeah I guess most people would probably pick Premium as saying like that's the most expensive one but is it is extra? Is there extra to premium or essential? That means I absolutely have to have this one because that was the yeah, definition. Yeah, I of I hate
2: that's the worst one. Essential as the basic one is terrible, yeah. terrible. I I am sure I'm sure that there's a like I'm sure a it's bunch like
0: marketing of, like psychological. Yeah, a bunch sort of, f- of you know like oh you don't lanyard want lanyard wearing. one yeah, you don't want bronze. You know, fucking cheaper. in a room like you want. You know, all of these things to sound essential. I,
2: I still like... But again, these the, the over-analytical marketing department definitely says, we don't want people thinking they're below you. I still think uh, bronze, silver, gold for, like, Xbox yeah, Live is perfect. Makes sense. Because you get what it is. But again, these days where, like, there's a bajillion-dollar marketing department... We feel that with this focus test, people don't like owning bronze. Everyone wants to have. It's, I think it's that kind of thing. So, in in the case of this PlayStation Plus one, it's like we have to have three words that sound class. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We we can't have three words that actually illustrate what they are because they have to be three kind of buzzy. Ooh, you're lucky to have any of them. They're all great. So then, know? if you're a, um, if you're a
1: parent and you walk and you're like trying to buy this for your kid, and you're like extra essential. Yeah, premium totally uh, <laughs> i don't know Only transports matter i'm not sure what to do here um that's kind of how i think that that's going to go down uh i i
2: i think game pass in general is, is some really strong branding but like whenever my, my girlfriend like she buys it for her like nephews and stuff like that and she's like do i need to get the ultimate and it's like yeah and i'm like well no because someone else gets him like a gift for his birthdays gets him Xbox Live, and it's like, wait, is that included in this? I'm like, it's included yeah. in this one, but not in that one. So, like, uh, this exact conversation will happen 50 times over every day in GameStop for the new PlayStation Plus. Stuff, yeah. I think
0: uh, the I thing mean, with, with, like, Game Pass as well, the thing that always throws me off is that I'm never 100% sure, like, if a game comes out, is, like, is it on PC? Or is it on the console? Or is it on cloud? Yes. And, like, the only way I know is just, like, when something gets announced, like, on Twitter, The, in fairness, the, the Game Pass accounts, because there's, like xbox game pass for pc specifically and there's an xbox game pass one which in itself is like the fact Mm. that you have to have two accounts for this probably says that you've done something wrong here but whatever that's the only way that i can clearly see like oh right okay yeah this one's specifically in pc this one's on cloud cool great whatever uh I, I wonder like if there is something intentional because it's not like, you know, these companies haven't had forever to sort this shit out, but you look up Xbox and the Series S and the Series X, like what the fuck is the logic behind I'm sure there is a logic in there somewhere and you kinda if you wanted to put your cynical hat on, is it like We're going to make this as fucking complicated as possible with the idea that a mum is going to go into the shop and not know which one is which and end up just buying the expensive one. Like, I don't know if that is an actual strategy strategy, or I've just made up in my head. But, like, with this, with this tier, like as you just mentioned there, you know, if you had a bronze, silver, and gold, you might not know what's in all of those, but at least you would have an understanding that, like, one of these is better than the other. But if you've got fucking, uh, what is it, essential and uh what is it essential extra and premium extra like the, the
1: premium the fact that you can't even remember them right yeah, now. Yeah. we read them out less than five minutes ago it speaks volumes
0: like yeah if you're a mum and you go into a shop and you wanted to get like a, a ps plus voucher or whatever like i don't know how they're going to be selling these but you know on on the off chance that it's like you can get an essential membership for three months or a, a premium membership for three months that person might GameStop and, you know, it's just, it's their job. I don't blame them, but they'd be like, oh yeah, you want to get the premium one. You know, that's just how it's going to be every time. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what the mentality is. I don't want to be that much of a cynic, um, but hey, they all want our money. So maybe, maybe. it's
1: just do tier, tier one, tier two, tier three, and just have done with it. Tier A, tier B, tier, B, tier C, like, yeah. come
0: on. When we come it's, to power, Jack, but until yeah, then. Yeah, man. Uh, Speaking of PlayStation Plus, um, which is 22nd of June is when it's launching in Europe. Uh, we haven't had any games officially announced yet, but there has been a uh, like a leak um, that shows uh, potentially some of the games that will be coming, uh, including Tekken 2 uh, for and Miss Driller for the PlayStation One and Ridge Racer specifically for the PSP. Um, now these are all Bando mm. Namkai games These are Nam-Kai, um, yeah. now I would have thought yeah. that surely you'd have Ridge Racer the original launch now in fairness again we have no idea what's coming so I'd say there's a fair chance that Ridge Racer is the, the, the PS1 version will be there uh, they also uh, announced that uh, Worms Armageddon and Worms World Party will also uh, have shown up. Um, whether there will be NFTs available at launch remains to be seen as well. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Is there anything that you're hoping. Th- uh, actually, I guess this is the first question. Like, are you guys going to be signing up for this? Are you, like, now we are in a world where we have our emulation devices that we can, you know, just go and download stuff and not have to deal with this kind of shit. Are you in any way compelled by this based on the convenience factor?
1: Does it have a working joystick? If it does, I mean, (laughs) well, yeah, I
0: guess there is that. Yeah,
1: I, it's 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 a horribly um, simplistic answer, but I just want to know what's in it. I think before I sign up to it, Uh, I don't want to jump on board. I've I've played. These games, I've, I, I I still probably own uh, these old PlayStation games somewhere in my house and my old PS1 if I really wanted to crack it out, play them again, um, if I was super desperate. So, like, it would have to be, I I'd want it to be a kind of diverse and kind of full, cr- like, just chunk of cross-section of, of that first generation um, for me to really want to throw myself into it. If they start drip feeding the content Nintendo style, I definitely am not going to jump on board early I, I would say. Uh, I don't know what you think Barry
2: Yeah, I, I, I like that they've kind of, the, the numbers they've put out have been yeah. beefy to be fair uh, what it what it's like 300 PS4 or 5 and then if you get the ult, the ultra tier I was about to say whatever the fuck it's called <laughs> <Extra premium>. uh, <laughs> it's like uh, 400 then back Compat games so those are beefy numbers and those are more than than game pass so you know they're you know they're not messing around so i want to see what it is but even if it's not absolutely everything i want i i'm kind of to be perfectly honest my my default position is i probably will get it i probably will get it i'm always going to have ps plus anyway uh for the online functionality so i'm kind of like all right i'll upgrade my tier for their game pass equivalent um because it seems like the sheer volume they have is great do it for um, the streaming. So yeah, to be honest, I I'm going to get it most. And also for, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's Game Pass is great for that as well. It's kind of like if I I will never have a shortage of things to stream, right? Even if I don't have 60, 70, 80 quid to buy the newest release, having access to these back catalogs is really really cool for that reason um as well. And and I mean, but the, I mean, there's been a lot of caveats on 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 the PlayStation 1. It's so funny that they were just like everyone Announcement: We're we're uh, we're giving up on the PS3 stuff. We don't know how to do it. Um, you can stream yeah. it, okay? You can fucking stream it. And you can fucking. If you want to like go it, bootleg it on PC? Yeah. You can do it. You know. So that's funny. But that aside, it's kind of like this actually came up a lot on the the, the Simpsons stream that I mentioned, and also I, I did Def Jam earlier this year. Those are two games and two series that everyone's like, oh, I'd love a remaster, I'd love a sequel, blah 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 blah. I we can we can fairly comfortably say now whatever however extensive the ps2 library is it's not going to have that golden age of license games because of the legal red tape yeah. involved you're talking about defunct developers defunct publishers licenses that have transferred ownership a bajillion times You know, Simpsons Hit and Run was made by Vivendi, who are now owned by Activision. It's a Simpsons license, which is now held by EA. The Simpsons has changed ownership itself as an IP in the 15 years. Shit like that, forget about it. Def Jam with a million licensed fighters and a million licensed songs, and EA doesn't have that license anymore. Forget about it. That stuff's not coming. Tony Hawk with all those songs, all those skaters, all those everything. Highly unlikely. I mean, um, it is a
0: miracle know. that we got those one and two remasters. You know, it really exactly.
2: Is. I mean, that's and that's that's the thing. You have to like like when when even when weird B games like Destroy All Humans and Stubs get remastered, regardless of whether or not they're any good, you should be kind of thankful that they got pulled from the the PS2 ether because every developer from that era is dead, and most of the publishers are dead. It's all just kind of like, and especially when you get involved a television, music, or film license. Um it's all so murky. So I am gonna get it, but I am fascinated to see what the library is gonna be. I mean, like when you rack your brain, I mean obviously there I, I would assume, and I'd be very disappointed, like Jack said, I don't want a drip feed rollout. They they gotta have all the all the classic PS1 Sony owned stuff, uh, uh day one. You know, your crash bandicoots and your Tomb Raiders are probably in a grey area, but Everything that Sony owns, they gotta have on there. Uh, you know, if you if you if you go on there day one and you can't play God of War PS2, that's a huge failure. Yep. Um, they they have to have that. Um, and and realistically, they should be making some big money deals for the gray area, iconic PlayStation but not technically PlayStation games. Your Metal Gears, your Crashes, your Tomb Raiders. They sh- they should be on there. And look, we, there's very recent evidence with the PlayStation Classic of Sony not getting those deals done um uh you know when they put out that that mini console uh among the many issues with it was that they they got metal gear solid one and other than that all the third party iconic stuff was not on there i bought one Um, of
1: those and i've never opened
2: it (laughs) you know i i use it uh, i use it because it's it was incredibly easy as all these things are it was incredibly easy to hack so I just popped a metal uh, 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 memory stick in the back of it and sorry, didn't do it. But I put Smackdown on it and I put Tony Hawk on it and I put Spider-Man on it. Uh, Spider-Man, another one you will probably never see on this service that's covered because it's, you know, uh, too too much of a gray area. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, there was a big I remember like it was such a bomb that like within two months they were half price. And everyone was just like, hey, grab these for half price. You can hack them with a cheap memory, memory stick and put whatever you want on there um but yeah um i'm fascinated to see what it is because they're beat they're 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 pumping their chest up with big numbers but what the actual content is going to be is interesting especially psp also psp is that going to be native resolution is there an up res is there a you know what are we what are we talking when when it comes to stuff like psp and ps2 uh i i don't know they haven't said uh, the good thing is, even though we have to wait till the end of June, is that other markets are getting it in May, so we'll know fairly soon. I think.
1: Yeah, I think uh, a full Metal Gear, uh, a full Metal Gear back catalogue available on day one would be like a huge boon and something they could point themselves at. Like play every generation of of Solid Snake. From Metal Gear 1 all the way through to Metal Gear 5. And then maybe, like, if you're going PSP 3, Metal Gear Acid and maybe Revengeance for, for the Mark Robinsons yeah, yeah. out there. You know? Just, oh, like, here you go, day one fucking here's all of it and i think that would be a selling point because if they already worked that deal out for the ps what uh ps classic barry then maybe they can get it for the whole shebang i i also
0: think as yeah. well that because you mentioned there about like this idea of it, they can't do a drip feed approach i think what's even more imperative about that is that because this whole service is based on what they have like their their history and not so much so far about like what's coming you know like in terms of hey you're probably not going to get ragnarok on this service so you're not going to get x y and z you know like for me game pass isn't so much about the older stuff it's just about like how many new games i get to play on their service so you know like for me i'm not as compelled by by um By this this PS Plus service, partially because, like, you know, I have a bunch of these games through various means or, you know, they've been re-released in some form or fashion, and you know, if there just isn't going to be that much in terms of new content, and let's be honest PS Plus, up until this point in terms of the games that you get per month it's not exactly a fucking uh... A heroic list of games that we, you know, get.
2: No, like it's been a graveyard for a while. This month, it's it's FIFA and two games. No, it's it's FIFA 22.
0: That's a big. That's a big game to have on there. That's
2: it is. But correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a football hate. Anyone who gives a shit gets it when it comes out. Do they not? Yes. True. uh, Would you? Do you? Can you? Like, anecdotally, you guys both play. You guys both watch more football. You know, well, Mark, you're not big football. I area, know enough. But, but but more yeah, than yeah. more than me, anyway. Do you anecdotally know a single soul who said, "Holy shit, I never got around to it," but now PS Plus, that's fucking crazy. Uh, no, in I, no,
0: <laughs> I might be the one person there because, like, I when I got.
2: <laughs> okay, okay when you I got it. Game
0: Pass. I uh, downloaded because, like, you know, because like the EA stuff's on there. I downloaded like last year's FIFA, and I sunk about seventy to eighty hours, eighty hours, in about three weeks, and completely burnt myself off. I was like, all right, I'm good for FIFA for like the next ten years now. Uh, so I might be the one person that fits into that category. But uh, Mark the, is often okay, the exception okay. and yeah. not the rule. Very much. Uh, so, yeah.
1: In, 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 I'd say by design a lot of the time as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I, I completely agree with you barry i think it's like 90 percent of the the fifa lads um will want to get their copy of fifa in immediately so they can just yeah. go online and start opening packs
2: and, and spend bajillions of of, of euro so, un- on you know like,
0: I, I didn't put that story in this week but i am also convinced that ea did that just to like put the nail in the coffin of e-football that already was firmly fucking wedged into that coffin anyway yeah
1: and and do you know what Barry I I was a big FIFA player and I was I was very very good at it. I I played FIFA like 97 all the way through to maybe the third or fourth one when they were doing Ultimate Team and I looked at my kind of bank balance and I I realized in a month I'd spent the same amount of money on ultimate team as the cost box price of the game (laughs) and i at the time i wasn't earning anywhere near what i am now and i was like no i'm not gonna do this anymore and then i played a little bit of fifa online after that and then i was like well i really enjoyed this ultimate team mode and now it kind of feels a little bit hollow and then after that i literally have never paid money for another fifa game um you got it out killed the my I'm proud of yeah, you. Yeah, it, it it killed my it killed my love of the game. Yeah. I mean, you say I got out of the system. Do I do I spend transactional money on raid passes and Pokemon Go? <laughs> yes I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but been, has, has there been any news lately about that like new football game that like Ronaldo's on the cover of? That weird third party one? Remember that was announced like months ago and then they haven't said anything about it since?
0: No, I haven't heard anything about that. Are you, while, are you referring to know. eFootball or something else?
2: No, no, so there was eFootball, but then there was a new, from like a new publisher and a new developer, a new third-party football game that had Ronaldo on the cover, it had some stupid name, they put out a trailer, it was just Ronaldo playing football. And that was literally if if, um, if Dave Ryan
0: wasn't watching Morbius right now he'd be around to tell us because I have no idea <laughs>
2: yeah I feel like he'd be yeah. the type of guy yeah I haven't heard about that but um, yeah it's an interesting interesting landscape I,
1: I, I just um, love real life football I, I, I'm not in the virtual football world anymore as much I would Yeah, would
0: you don't need to spend money on fucking uh, ultimate for ultimate t- team packs because you're uh, you know spending however much per year on Cause, season tickets because
1: I spent 800 pounds a year to go watch my football team yeah Fair
0: play. Uh, speaking of money, uh, Reggie, uh, oh, Reggie, all our heroes never meet them. Uh, he's a big believer in blockchain and so called play to own <laughs> technology. Speaking at Laugh Bumps, uh South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, Reggie was asked what role blockchain, crypto, and play to earn technology had in the future of gaming. He appears to be quite enthusiastic about the idea. Uh, He says, So I'm a believer in blockchain. I think it's a really compelling technology. I'm also a believer in the concept of play to own within video games. And I say this as a player where I may have invested 50 hours, 100 hours or 300 hours in a game. And when I'm ready to move on to something else, wouldn't it be great to monetize what I've built? Uh, Reggie used an example for his former employer to support his case. I bet I'd have some takers here today if I wanted to sell my Animal Crossing island from the latest Switch version. I'd like to be able to monetize that. Blockchain technology embedding the code would enable me to do that.
1: So, um... I don't, you could do that anyway. You just sell. Then you just sell your account.
0: What I was gonna say is, like, just fucking buy a, just make a World of Warcraft account, put hundred hours into it, and sell that. It's not like we haven't been doing that for the last twenty odd years.
1: Uh, pe- people sell Pokemon Go accounts. Yeah. All the, like, I see people advertise Pokemon Go accounts. My my Pokemon Go account's level forty nine. Uh, there are times where I get a little bit bored
2: of the game, and I'm like, <laughs> dude, I wonder how much I could get for this shit. <laughs> But you did you did hit on something that with my my favorite thing with NFT conversations now because there's been so many of them we've all taken a big fat shit on them for months at this stage. My favorite thing is to do what what, what Jack just did though, one is that what about this has to have blockchain technology involved? That is a question is like, every time. That is like that, it, yeah, and it's because that was that was the thing that that hit me on the uh, the one Baker Troy Baker I- I endorsed, which was um, I put my voice in a bot and then you can license the bot to voice over your game or whatever. which first of all psychotic that a voice actor would choose to partake in that but leaving that aside and then they were like an ownership is uh, transferred on the blockchain I'm like whoa, whoa, whoa go back one step you have the technology to encode your voice in an AI bot and then you can license it to people and then someone came along and said, what if we just put the ownership on the blockchain? All of this stuff, and it's the same with Ubisoft, like putting serial numbers on individual weapons. You know, that's what their quartz system is. Your gun has a number on it. It's a unique number. I'm like, you can do all of this. This all, this, this is the, the, like, the on all the other criticisms of blockchains are completely valid. But the thing that's driving me crazy is it's like it's completely superfluous basically people who are pro blockchain act like the concept of ownership didn't exist before 2018 (laughs) they act like owning a thing wasn't something you did until until a load of servers somewhere in new mexico verified that you owned it it's just so and it really is like the emperor's new clothes type thing where when you just ask that question i'm like okay why does it have to be on the blockchain like you know do i own my house this pc this console this controller yep I don't have a blockchain receipt to say I own any of it, but I do. Yeah. you know.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. If if you sell individualized, uh, <laughs> if you sell individualized content in a video game, y- you can just buy it off the store face. It's like, right? Well, you know, you're user is Jack Show host, and we're gonna embed Jack mm. Show host on this uh, on this gun that you. It doesn't have to be blockchain, and the idea that Reggie as well is saying like, wow, you know, if I spend all of my my time building this thing up, and then it's valuable, it's like how many fucking games hold their player base enough to the point where when you've done a lot of grinding, uh, you'll be able to sell your account on. Not fucking many of them, let me tell you. There are the, the exceptions to the all like uh world of warcraft and stuff like that but guess what some people play a game for a couple months and then they move on and they're the daily active users drop off a fucking cliff so if you wanted to pay money to invest in your own cosmetic shit that is unique to you they can create it without blockchain you can buy it you can wear it and it's just as worthless as it would be if it was part of the blockchain or it was just something you bought from a storefront at the end of the day and, so. and
0: also the idea that you know you would use an example like Animal Crossing or should we just say Nintendo as a whole and you know Nintendo covers a broad spectrum of players but they certainly have players that are on the younger side how are you going to deal with like the like the issues and the legalities and the stuff that comes up that you've got, say like an eight year old that has made this animal crossing Island. And you know, what does this system look like? You know, can they sell this for real money? Does it go into like an auction house? And then you've gotten all the, the like Roblox fucking headaches and issues that have been well documented recently. And you've suddenly like introduced like this child into this whole world of fucking stonks, basically, you know, like that doesn't exactly sit well with me. Not sure. I'm a big fan of that. It's not how I would like to, you know, Introduce my child into the world of video games.
1: Just from a personal point, I'd be pure raging if some 12 year old like dipshit with an Animal Crossing account and got richer than me, fucking just making a goddamn animal grow crops and building an island. And it's like, oh yeah, I made a hundred thousand pounds. Like, fuck you, you 12 year old gobshite. How is this fair? No, I'd
0: be pure raging. But you are you are right, Barry. Like the, the question that comes up every single time is just like, what the fuck does the blockchain have to do with this? Like, how how is this in any way? Uh, yeah. A like we've already been doing this anyway. The blockchain doesn't make this any better, or you're trying to force the blockchain into something that just isn't. It's not relevant. It's
1: not apropos. Stop trying to make fetch happen, guys. That's 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 what we need to say every time.
0: I'm I'm sure come game of the year, NFTs are going to come up in uh in uh
1: almost certainly uh, conversation but. do you know what though I almost hope that they don't because I almost hope but they're so irrelevant by then that we just like yeah. mention it in passing and it's like the first thing eliminated like you know Dave spins the wheel and it goes to Barry <laughs> and he's like well I'm going to knock off NFTs because we haven't spoken about them since we did that pod in April and well, that's in, just in fairness end.
0: like NFTs and like Ethereum you know the bomb has already dropped out um, so there is a good chance come December that that is actually the case um,
1: do you know what though? I think here's the thing that's going to be funny is come september october some company and i'm not pointing fingers at nintendo because i really don't want them to be there but it might be is gonna jump on nfts when they are so beyond dead and they're <laughs> gonna they're gonna put a press launch out there where they've been really researching and tentative about it like yes you know we're getting involved in blockchain nfts and stuff for our players it's gonna be october and everyone's gonna be like the fuck um and that might end up in the game <laughs> that might end up in the the pitchford uh, award i know i so, say yeah.
0: that's absolutely uh possible because i i do imagine that a lot of these pitches and announcements and ideas that come out are based off of some ceo that read a fucking linkedin post and was like oh shit yeah this is what we should be doing
1: yeah well they were having a shit that's the amount of like thought they put into it that brief period of being on the toilet and going you know what i can make cash <laughs> from this <laughs>
0: And we'll end this week uh, based on the fact that Barry is here, because I know he's a fan of the Supermassive games, but the quarry will have an astounding 186 unique endings. One of the joys of Supermassive games are their focus on player choice, and as a result, the branching narratives created on any given playthrough. However, this means that there are multiple different endings that players can achieve, and the quarry is no exception. Uh, It's stated to have 186 unique endings scripted into the game. Uh, chatting to AGM, the quarry director, Will Biles, broke down how exactly one goes about making a game with so many variables, and the impressive work from the actors. He said that we wrote it like a movie screenplay. Actors, actors are used to a hundred-page script on a feature film, uh, so this script is over a thousand pages. Uh, the actors can get very alarmed. We have to shoot fifty pages a day, which is unheard of. It's a mad amount of footage. A lot of this footage is repeated, with the actors having to go back to the start of scene and then act out a different potential pathway that players may choose. So as you can imagine, a lot of tables are created to document where each character's story was going at any given time. We worked out 186 different endings for those characters, not just alive or dead. The stories that they have on the way through are massively varied. Branches really are a mathematical nightmare. It's just exceptional. Um... Yeah, like I know, I think you, Barry. I've seen you talk, chatting about the quarry and your interest in it, and I know that obviously you have an interest in these games and you've been streaming uh, some of them up to this point. Um, mm. I mean, 186 endings seems somewhat intimidating, um, and I don't think anyone. There's probably one person out there who will play all of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> but totally. like, is this maybe just just one too many? You know, I'm talking about. Having an extra because <laughs> one hundred
1: and eighty five is just fine. Well, I'm mean, I sitting
0: here thinking, you know, an extra twenty like ways to play the Stanley Parable. That's certainly going to give me enough, and I'm never going to see all of those. But uh, yeah, this this seems a bit excessive.
2: I just I just hope that like from a development standpoint, they haven't like way overreached. I mean, like because even outlining there the sheer volume of work the actors have to go through and and the writers probably to even get the actors to that stage i mean that's a lot um uh uh, to take on but i mean yeah i so i loved until dawn uh the dark pictures anthology a little bit more of a mixed bag but still pretty good the one thing that's true of those games even the weaker entries not quite 186 but they do legitimately have so many different ways to end characters live characters die items are found stories get resolved or they don't get resolved it is genuinely quite impressive especially over the course of like a you know five or six hour runtime they squeeze in a lot and it's really 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 impressive and and that's a variable in a lot of these adventure games these kind of decision-based choose your own adventure games that some of them can take you to like two divergent points some of them can take you to like one conclusion but your journey there will will take a change but i feel like supermassive so far their track record even on games like a little hope which i wasn't a huge fan of even there they did a pretty satisfactory job of your story is your story and they it's kind of to me it's less about replaying it and getting every ending so much as it's about you and i can both go play the game then come on this podcast and talk not just about oh did you get ending a or did you get ending b Uh, but more so oh you found this thing i didn't even find it oh i found it but i lost it or it broke or this character went this way or they died or they went off with this other character um i think that's the irony of putting that many endings into the game is i think they the ultimate way to play them is to just do it once you know what i mean and and then then you can also just watch a million other people like on youtube play it and go oh they they went the other way or they looked at this and i didn't look at it or there's things in there where you can pick up a book but not flip it over and see the note on the other side you know um so that's that does almost seem like a cause for concern because it's so ambitious but they have they have a good track record and i think they kind of have to go ambitious because like this is you know you don't want to just keep making like those dark pictures games are good but they're kind of a known quantity right and so this one they're coming out the game's also 80 quid it's got full next gen pricing do you know what i mean so it does kind of feel like they're saying we're coming out and it's effectively their follow-up to until dawn right which was the last big one of these they did that was longer and it was a standalone thing uh and so i think you know Obviously, as a team and as a studio, they probably want to challenge themselves now after all these years to do something a bit more spectacular. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I I hope they stick the landing, or the 186 landings. I'm just
0: hoping that, like, for that many uh, permutations of the story that you know you're not just going to fall into in this one ending well this colour has brown hair and in this ending this colour has this person has blonde hair you know like just very kind of Mm. like unsubstantial uh, inconsequential like endings you know like how how the fuck do you have that that different many or are they basing off of just like well in this version you know you've got say like eight characters and here's a bunch of different endings based on if you've got four characters and here's a bunch of different endings based on if you have six characters left and they try and do it that way it just i don't know it seems pretty crazy to know how they can have that many endings and all of them have like an impact or are you know like as as like worthy of an ending for a game you know, like because if you just have one story that you write and you have the one ending and you play it, do it from beginning to end, and it's it's weighty and it has a point to it, it's poignant, whatever, blah blah blah. You know, doing one of those is hard enough alone. How the fuck do you do that hmm. 186
1: times? You know. Yeah, uh, I just hope that they haven't compromised the quality of their game, tying themselves in knots to get all these branching paths to make sense would be my main concern yeah (laughs) like there's a bunch of really stressed out people that had to storyboard a bunch of this stuff so it kind of all clicked in and while they were doing that like things weren't getting done or compromises were being made just so they could lead with the we got 186 endings and the story isn't that good um you'd rather have six endings where the story was fantastic rather than this
0: Um, The one last quick little thing I'm just going to bring up here, Barry, because I know you're a big fan of it, and I was playing it, but I haven't finished it yet. You've seen that uh, Sifu is going to have some difficulty options added in later, I think next month. Uh, Now, I know that you finished it. I got to level three, and then I I bailed off for a while to play some other things. Um, I don't have a big kind of weighty discussion here about game difficulty and that kind of thing, but like with a game like Sifu, you know, do you think that uh, uh, an easier mode is going to like um like dilute that f- kind of experience because to be honest for me, you know, I got past that second level and uh I I played like a whole bunch of that game in one sitting and then slightly burnt myself out of it because there is a there is a repetitiveness of having to do those two levels yeah. over and over again. Like so do you think that a, an easy mode like uh I lose that experience? Do you think it's necessary? I'm just I'm I'm curious, like with you finishing it, how you feel about that?
2: No, I I don't think it does. Like I'm 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 firmly in the camp of just if you can make a game more playable to more people, that's that's great. And and you know, um I mean and and like with, with like the, the all the Elden Ring chat earlier this year, it's like it's not there's not a setting, but like there are easy mode options. You can summon other people, you can get help. If you want to be super fucking hardcore, you don't have to do any of that. Same with Sifu. People like uh myself who've already beaten it or people who get it i think i think they're coinciding that stuff with the physical release so uh you know people who just play it for the first time they'll have the option to play it that way or if if they uh if they are finding it too hard or they're just not engaged by that style of combat but they still want to see the rest of it, i think it's cool that they have the option because it's like i found i found it so gratifying to get to grips with that combat after constantly failing it that was kind of the joy of it for me but also like all those animations are sick the combat is great if you want your john wick power fantasy game that you don't really have to figure out the incredibly dense timing based combat i think that's that's fair you know um uh and i i i i'm definitely in the camp of i wish more people i mean it was already very successful but i want more people to play seafood and I want more people to play the later parts of Sefu and see all the the uh, the cool stuff in there like I want them to see the the second half of that museum level and I want them to see the finale and I want to see I want people to just see that stuff and experience it because I do think that game is absolutely tremendous um yeah no I think I think it's good I think it's good and I think it's going to be an interesting experiment because there's been all these conversations every major souls release comes out we have to do the conversation other games have dabbled in it tunic has the kind of no fail mode which uh a friend of mine did say he was using on occasion to get through tough areas because the appeal of that game to him was the secrets and the exploring and yeah. the world and the booklet and all this other stuff and he was like at a certain point i was just not having fun doing the bosses so i just turned it on because i don't want it. and i think people will will do that same thing with sifu it's like it's got a big modding community on the pc People want to play as Daredevil and Batman <laughs> and John Wick, which I think is super fucking cool, and Neo. And, like, that's... that's. I think a lot of people, because they it, it sold, like, a million copies, I something. I'm sure a lot of people bought that game not expecting it to be as hard Excuse as it was. Excuse me while well, I just Google Thomas it the to be, Engine and Seafood. <laughs> oh, he must be in there. He must be in there. And Mr. X. Um, um, I'm sure a huge fraction of people... Not a huge fraction, but a fraction... Went in there not expecting it to be as punishing as it was, and I, I hope they can then go back to it and say, you know, and it doesn't, it, you know, it's not. Necessarily, I I actually haven't read up on what the details are going to be, but you know, I I don't think it's either. You can play it normally or you have baby mode where you don't die. I'm sure, I'm sure they've got tears. Um, but yeah, seafood rocks. Play it whatever way you want, uh, but do play it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I was never gonna play seafood because of what looked like punishing difficulty, and this actually like maybe. Maybe will get me to play it. Um, I would say
0: there's a fair chance it's going to come up in uh, in in the game of the year conversation. So
1: yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because like Elden Ring has kind of, are you would me a little bit? <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I think Sifu the difficulty mode uh, for for people like me, and it's it's not that I couldn't do it if I really wanted to, but it's just like. I'm just tired, man. I just want <laughs> <laughs> to play a video game and have a good time. You know how it is. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, I get it. Yeah. And I, and I want to get involved in seafood because it looks aesthetically really fucking cool. It certainly is. It, it certainly yeah. has a look
0: to it. Um, mm-hmm. But that will do us for this week. Uh, like listen share and subscribe we appreciate any love from you people Uh, you can find us on most of the podcasting platforms of your choice Uh, by all means you can contact us we are on twitter at link to the cast Uh, barry where can the fine people find you
2: yeah well uh, we've mentioned it here and there over the course of the show but twitch.tv slash Lab is where you can find me every wednesday and thursday uh, my pinned tweet on Twitter, which is at the Barry Lad. Uh, will always be my schedule, I put my schedule up there with my link to the the Twitch and stuff like that, and plus Twitter is where I will link to various other things I'm working on, you know, whether I do an episode of this podcast, things like that so uh, yeah, at the Barry Live on Twitter is where you can go and my pinned tweet will be my schedule, I've a whole bunch of stuff planned for May, lots of doing kind of a grab bag of all kinds of weird stuff in May, we're going to be watching some wrestling we'll be playing some Legends of Wrestling we're going to be, god almighty going back to Mario Sunshine again oh, why are you doing it to yourself Barry? i am got one one last time brother one last ride <laughs> going back and we're doing some of those godforsaken red coin levels oh, Jesus um, Christ
1: <laughs> yeah you need some more too bad emotes, my
2: friend I there's not enough in the world there really isn't enough uh for that but yeah that's that's where you can find me uh
0: as always we uh, I am at Lithium Project Jack is at Jack Lazell Dave is at the Day Dave and Garrett is at Garrett Kidney we should hopefully hopefully be doing our special show that we planned for this week At some point in the near future, I guess we're going to have to try and figure that out afterwards. Um, But until then, thank you for listening to another installment of A Link to the Cast. And we'll see you again very, very soon.